This happened several years ago, after I had just turned 14. My father, my uncle, and I went on a night fishing trip. My father and uncle invited me to a fishing trip to mark my coming of age. I always begged to go with them, but I had been too young up until then. They went night fishing on the full moon of every month. The full moon was supposed to attract bigger fish. I don't know how true that is, but that's what I've been told. And after that particular night, when we caught no fish, I was especially skeptical about that claim. But we did, however, experience something that forced us to get back to shore as quickly as possible. Dad and I had packed our gear and drove to my uncle's to pick him up. We got to the docking yard around 11 p.m. that night. Then we began packing our gear onto the boat. The fishing boat was small, but it fit the three of us comfortably. My dad and uncle had rigged a 200-horsepower engine on it when they bought it, so it could go pretty fast. We left the dock nearing 12 p.m. when the moon was straight above us. Its moonlight illuminated our way to the fishing spot. They made me swear to keep their spot a secret, as if I knew how to get back here myself. On the other hand, this did make me feel accepted, so I was very happy to agree. We were roughly two miles out when the boat started to slow down. We're here, my dad said. It was impressive how they could come back to the same spot again when there were no landmarks, only small islets far off in the distance. It only later occurred to me that these boats were equipped with computerized coordinates. I'd never been so far out to sea. With no lights around us, the moon looked more full than ever, presenting details I'd never noticed on it before. It offered us enough light to get our fishing rods out and ready. It was quiet out there. At this time, there were no other boats around, only the sound of the sea and wind. Obviously, there were no crickets out there on the water. We were all on one side of the boat. My dad and uncle had their lines cast while I worked on tying and baiting my hook. It was then that I heard a splashing on the opposite side of the boat. I dropped what I was doing and went over to see if it was a dolphin. They were common around this time of year, but rarely seen at night. I looked into the water on the side of the boat. There was no dolphin or fish, but there was a glowing blur of redness coming from deep below. It's hard to explain, but it glowed similar to a fire and seemed to be moving downward as it quickly faded out of sight. The two of them asked me what it was, but I didn't want to explain what I saw, as I thought that they wouldn't believe me. So I just said it was nothing. As I turned away from the water, something hit the boat hard from underneath with a loud bang. The boat shook. It was like a cannonball had hit the boat from underneath. My dad and uncle both cursed. I dropped to the floor in shock. We had no idea what could have done that. They said maybe it was a shark but I was thinking there was no way a shark would slam and rock a boat so hard. But the anxiety and fear of the situation was enough for us to go to another spot. My uncle and dad began to pull up the anchor. 
They got the anchor up, and I looked back into the water where I'd previously seen the red glow. It was there again now, but this time I quickly called the other two over to see it. They definitely saw it and could not decipher what it could be. It seemed to be getting bigger, and we realized whatever it was was moving upward, fast. We knew we had to get out of there. The boat sped away, and we seemed to be in the clear. But when I looked behind us, I could still see it, just below the surface of the waves the boat made. It was there in the water, and it was chasing us. I was frightened more than I've ever been in my life. We were in the vast open sea with whatever hit our boat from below, right behind us. My dad reached maximum speed. The boat seemed to hit every swell head-on, throwing the vessel into the air, causing it to violently land back on the surface of the water. We all were holding on to something by then, otherwise we would have been thrown overboard, which would mean we'd get to experience what that thing in the water was behind us. While my dad drove, I kept myself as low as possible, gripping anything I could. My uncle screamed at it, asking what it wanted, as though it had a conscience. Looking back on it now, I'm pretty sure that whatever it was, I believe it meant to do us harm. We got to around three minutes from the shore, when it was no longer behind us. In our fear, we left everything on the boat and jumped onto the dock as fast as we could. The dockyard worker asked us what all the hustle was about, but we didn't really know what to say. We told no one. After all, it was an extremely frightful, yet unbelievably strange encounter, one that people would probably doubt. I'm in my twenties now. I've drunkenly told this story once or twice, but people usually laugh about it. Just some drunken tale. That was the last time any of us went out to sea at night, and never again to the same spot. We still have those coordinates saved, not to go back, but to avoid it at all costs. Creature in New Mexico From Tiffany M. My husband, mother-in-law, myself, and at the time our three children, were moving back to Oregon from Tennessee in early 2015. We were bound to have a terrible time as soon as we started. I mean, right away we began having serious car trouble. After getting through slowly to New Mexico, we got temporarily stranded at a small settlement on the Navajo Reservation. At first, everything was fine. The people who lived there were amazing, kind, and overall some of the best people I've ever met. We had some dogs at the time and were told under no circumstances to leave or let them out after dark, as being in the middle of nowhere, there were several types of predators around, among, quote-unquote, other things that would love to get a hold of your dogs. That was fine with us, as it was an unfamiliar area. In the meantime, we did what we'd been doing all along, and began trying to find a new water pump and thermostat for the car. This took almost a week, 
and the closest place was the next town over, which was about twenty miles away. While searching for these items, and how to get there, things began getting a little strange, to say the least. The people began to get more nervous around us, aside from the children who lived in the small community. Cats and other house pets started turning up missing through our stay. Things of that nature. Well, the kids decided to take us out exploring one day, with their parents' permission, of course. They decided to take us to a short cave they knew of. We left around 10.30 a.m., and it was about an hour walk to the cave. Nothing was overly strange about the cave, or the half-hour walk through it, from one side to the other. There were a couple of bats, some low-hanging pieces of rock we had to belly crawl under, pretty much normal cave stuff. However, when we got out on the other side, it was getting dark. That, in and of itself, was extremely odd, and shouldn't have been possible. However, it was, so we decided to take the road back, to make sure we wouldn't lose our footing if it got dark. Then the really strange things happened. There was no wind, and it was eerily silent. The kids we were with had begun to almost run back to the small town, and we were all doing all we could to keep up with them. It felt as if we were being watched and stalked at the same time. There were no sounds of crickets or other night insects, then we began hearing what sounded like coyotes howling and yipping quite suddenly, and they were close. Then came the voices of some of the tribe members. The kids told us to ignore the voices, to not look behind us no matter what. All the while, they kept their heads tilted slightly down. We did as we were told, as the voices continued to call our names one by one. When it began to use my mother-in-law's voice, trying to get my attention, I knew this was all wrong. It even used the whistle she uses to call us when we're out and about, to let us know something is up. After about twenty minutes, one of the adults showed up in their car to pick us up. When we got inside to go back, we were asked what we heard or saw. We explained everything. We could see the color drain from his face. He floored it, but before he could, I looked everywhere for a source of the calls, but saw nothing. Though I did smell sulfur and death, which were thick in the air by this point. The following morning, we were told we needed to leave, as we were bringing devils around by being there. We were told it was nothing against us personally, and they wished they could do more to help us out. But they wanted us gone. We had until sundown, but even then, that was more than enough time. We got all of our things, and we were in the next town in less than an hour. My mother-in-law asked what that was all about. She and I are believers, but my husband is not. We both told her the same thing about the voices, and she went pale as well. None of us could explain it away. We decided there was only one thing this could have been. A skinwalker in the New Mexico desert. The Evil Cross from Guatemala From Aurora G.
This is my experience from years ago. For a long time, weird things happened in my house. Things flying off of shelves, stuff going missing, water appearing in random places. One day, I was asleep and someone or something threw a pillow on my face. My mom claimed she saw a shadow standing in the kitchen once. I had a friend of mine who never wanted to come over because whatever was in there seemed to hate him. He went to my house only three times total. The first time, all the lights went off when he walked in. The second time, something locked him in the bathroom, and he had to jump from the window because we could not get the door to open. And the last time, we were in my room, and I had this big heavy clock made of metal that flew right across the room, hitting him right where it hurts. My mom is a Catholic, so we had many, many priests coming to the house, praying and spraying holy water. But things seemed to only get worse, until every priest my mom called didn't answer, or they would just make up excuses. By then, I was feeling sick for a while. I went to doctors and did every single test there was, and no one could tell me what was wrong with me. I was having problems breathing, suddenly passing out. From time to time, my nose would bleed, and I would have to vomit almost every day, not to mention the headaches, and the list just keeps going. My mom was crying every day out of desperation. We went to America to run more tests, but they could not figure out what was going on with me either. One day, a friend of my mom's told her that maybe it was the house. They gave her a number of a lady that goes to your home and gets rid of whatever's in there. As I said before, my mom is a Catholic, so doing something like this was really out of her character. But she was so desperate and worried. She called the woman the same day her friend gave her the advice, and this lady was in my home the next morning. I was at school feeling sick. I was feeling really sick 24 hours a day. It was exhausting. This lasted for almost two years. My mother didn't tell me about the lady, so I was completely clueless about what was going on at the house, when suddenly, out of nowhere, I felt better. I mean, just like that. I was sitting in my desk at math class and it happened. I felt fine for the first time in so long. Relief flooded through me. I was confused and thought it was all in my head or something. When I went home, my mom wasn't there. She arrived some hours later, and I swear to you she looked younger and refreshed. She told me about the lady, and how as soon as this woman entered our house, she went pale and looked suddenly scared but didn't say anything. She walked around the first floor for a couple of minutes and told my mom that the evil was coming out of my room. She said my name, even though my mom claimed she never mentioned my name. She walked to my room with my mom behind her. She immediately knew where my room was somehow, without my mom telling her anything. And as soon as she entered, all the stuff on my shelves and in my bed fell to the floor. She told my mother to stay outside and locked herself in my room for about 40 minutes. 
when she finally came out, she was holding a shirt I owned with a cross I had over the door. She told my mom to go to a river immediately to get rid of it. It had to be a river out of the city. They went there together, and she put the cross in the ground. The lady began to pray very loud, and as soon as she dropped the first drop of holy water on the silver cross, it turned black. Smoke began to pour out of it. My mom said that it stank so much that she threw up on the ground and felt so tired she could go to sleep right there. But the woman told her it was very important for her to stay awake. The woman never told my mom what was in that cross, but she did ask how we got it. The thing is, the cross was in that house when we bought it. Until today, we had no idea that there was something wrong with it. But I never felt sick since that day. Sailor Stories from My Dad From J. Ion My dad used to work for a freight company that delivered cargo all over the world via trans-oceanic routes. In his time working there, he has been to all of the important waterways in the world. The Panama Canal, the Strait of Magellan, the Bering Strait, the South China Sea. Basically, if you can name it, he has been there when it comes to waterways. However, it was always when the ship he was on was traversing through deep international waters that he witnessed some of the most bizarre and terrifying things that most men have never seen nor heard of. More than once in his career, he witnessed whirlpools that emerged suddenly or watched as a whirlpool grows larger and larger until the edge of it got dangerously close to the ship. He claimed that once a ship that he was on actually got pulled into the tides of a large whirlpool. The captain and crew actually got on their knees and stretched their arms out to beg for divine intervention, as there was no other means of escaping the situation. But the ship got pulled deeper and closer to the center of the whirlpool, and just before they were completely submerged, the ship was ejected out of the whirlpool like it was being sped out violently and landed on the outermost edge of it, where the pull of the tides were weakest. The ship powered on, out of the area. This is amongst the many reasons why my dad truly believes in the existence of a benevolent god, and is a devout Catholic. Even in situations where the ship, its cargo, and the crew were not in imminent danger, strange incidents would occur that completely defy human knowledge. On one very bright, moonlit night, in the middle of the Pacific, he was on night duty, checking the perimeters of the cargo hold. When he was on the starboard side of the ship, he noticed an enormous dark shape slowly and steadily swim up to the side of the ship he was on. He thought it might be an unusually large school of fish, or even sharks, or a giant squid, but the shape of the creature was far larger and rounder than any of those animals. He was gobsmacked at the size of this creature. When it was finally parallel to the side of the ship, it was the same length as the 965 feet long vessel, which is nearly 300 meters. Even blue whales do not grow to that size. Colossal squids don't get that colossal. 
He said that the creature itself looked like a pitch-black goldfish. It was solid black from front to back, and it was the most intense, darkest black that made it visible in the ocean, even though it was nighttime in deep waters. It had a head with a round tip like a goldfish, and the body was rather bulky, but still streamlined like a goldfish. The tail and fins were moving in a cascading manner, with occasional relaxed flexes to propel itself forward, slowly, like most goldfish do. It was such an odd sight that several of the crew on duty that night just dropped whatever they were doing and stood along the starboard to watch as the gigantic, darker-than-black goldfish-like creature moved alongside the ship. Even the captain, who had been asleep in his cabin, had woke up so that he could see the creature for himself and make a note of it, which he unfortunately could not do, because unless anything around the ship presented a threat to the cargo or crew, or the structural soundness of the vessel, it was not recorded as per company policy. They watched in awe, though, and in a bit of fear, all while the creature propelled itself gracefully out of sight into much deeper water, and did not appear again. When the ship docked at their next port, my dad had some time off, so he went to the nearest library to look for answers on what this fish may have been. Sadly, none of the resources he looked at gave any answers, even when he asked the locals about urban legends or folklore regarding deep-sea creatures, especially ones pertaining to enormous fish. No one had a clue. Even today, with the internet and tons of marine research being done, there is still no answer as to what my dad witnessed. It's been 30 years since my dad saw that gargantuan black goldfish-like creature, and 20 years since he was in danger of being swallowed by an ungodly whirlpool. He retired from that freight company 10 years ago. Now, when anyone asks for the most memorable experiences of his time out in open waters, he tells these two stories. Whether anyone believes his tales, though... That is irrelevant, because I know he was not alone in enduring those hair-raising moments at sea. The Rattling Doorknob From Florida to Atlanta I was thirteen when it happened in our old house back in Florida. I'm glad we moved from that area, because I don't think I'll ever go back. At the time... I lived in a two-story house near Miami, Florida, and near that house was a park that I frequently visited to play with some friends. One day, I stayed out much later than I should have. Eventually, my friends and I went our separate ways to go home. The twilight was rapidly getting darker, and I don't like the dark, so I was jogging to get home. It was then that I saw a small man beside one of the neighbor's houses. He was hunched over, and looked to be breathing hard. I was worried he was hurt or something, so I stepped off the sidewalk and across some grass. I slowly made my way up to him, calling out to ask if he was okay. When the man turned to face me, I stepped back and audibly gasped. The man did not have a mouth. His hands seemed to be mangled, like he had put them in a blender but there was no blood. What disturbed me the most were his eyes, which lacked all whiteness. They were pitch black, 
They were so dark they seemed to sink into his skull. He had muddy brown hair pasted to his forehead, and his clothes were dirty as well, covered in who knows what. My brain screamed to run, and so I listened. I didn't stop running until I reached my house, where I opened the door and slammed it shut, then ran to every other door and window to make sure they were also secure. My mom and dad and little brother were home, and they thought I was crazy, as I tried to explain what I saw, and of course, they didn't believe a word of it. Eventually, I dropped the subject, going to my room, hoping to distract myself by listening to some fantasy stories I had on my iPod. Later that night, my parents informed my brother and I that my aunt had gotten into a car accident, and they were going to the hospital to check on her. They asked me to make sure the doors were locked, and my younger brother, who was seven, went to bed on time. I agreed, worried about my aunt, and I asked them to give me a call if they could, to tell me how she was. And with that, they left. Not twenty minutes later, my brother and I were sitting on the couch, watching some mind-numbing cartoons like Kim Possible, when I heard the front doorknob rattle. I would have thought my parents forgot something and came back, but the fact that the door did not open and the rattling persisted and grew more violent told me that this was not them. I told my brother to go to the bathroom with the phone and lock the door just in case. He begrudgingly listened, and I went to look out the front door window. I moved the curtain aside and screamed, falling back onto the floor. To my horror, it was the short, terrifying man with no mouth and deep black eyes. He was trying to grasp at the door with mangled hands but seemed to be failing to do so. I stayed motionless on the floor, and the doorknob continued to rattle frantically. What made me panic was that the lock slowly began to turn into the unlocked position. That should have been impossible. I jumped up, and I pushed the lock back. I held it there, bracing myself against the door. But then, a strangled, choking sound came from the other side, and it almost reminded me of laughter. That's when I began to cry. I don't know how long I was there, or when the rattling finally stopped. I didn't move until I heard my parents calling from the other side of the door, and my brother tapping my arm telling me to let go of the lock. That night... I cried myself to sleep in my parents' bed. I learned that my brother called my father's mobile phone, saying that there was a man at the door, and that he had heard me scream. My little brother had heard me crying, so my parents rushed back home immediately. They still think it was some creep trying to get into the house. They think that's what scared me back then. We moved six months later. And I'm grateful to say I've never seen the mouthless man again. But now that I'm a grown woman, with a husband and my own house, and a one-year-old daughter, I still haven't completely gotten over what happened to me when I was thirteen. The memory is like it happened just a week ago. So let's just say I take self-defense lessons, 
and I have at least three locks on both my front and back doors. And I will never let my child or children walk to or from the park or friends' houses alone. My Grandparents' Land From Bagbug 14 The house my late grandparents owned sat in the Alabama woods. They aren't particularly deep woods, but it's a lot further out than you'd originally think upon traveling there. It was a place that, in my youth, was filled with comfort and felt like a true home. But then, when I was fourteen, my grandmother passed away. My grandmother was a woman who exuded kindness and life with every breath she breathed. She was the kind of person that no one had anything negative to say about. She and my grandfather both were devout Presbyterians and would attend church every Sunday. I believe that it was because of my grandmother's light and her faith that whatever evil rested in those woods around my grandparents' home was kept at bay for my childhood. After she died, my grandfather lived out there alone, save for a couple of outdoor cats. He fell into a deep depression, and something about the home, the land around the house, it all changed. It no longer felt like a happy place. My grandmother's absence seemed to be noted even by the forest that surrounded the home. Some nights, my father would go out there just to make sure that my grandfather had someone. My father and I didn't like knowing that he was alone up there, sinking further into her absence. It was on one of these nights that my father spent out there that this happened. It was nothing major, but it was still worth noting. My father liked to sleep out on the screened-in porch, listening to the cicadas, or cicadas, and frogs as he fell asleep. He was doing this one night, when he suddenly woke up in a cold sweat. In the next several moments, he discovered what it was that had awakened him. It was a screeching wail that was coming from the tree line. It was about twenty yards from the house. He described it to me as a sound that he'd never heard before. He said that it sounded like it could not belong to a creature of this world. He looked out into the woods, towards the sound, and saw, staring back at him, a pair of reflectively glowing orange eyes. I've done some research, and the only naturally occurring glowing eyes that I was able to find were red, yellow, green, and white. No orange. My father said that the pair of eyes paced back and forth along the tree line, but they never left him. It gave off another of its screams, its wailing barks, before vanishing into the night air. My father eventually went back to sleep, but in the morning when he woke up, he had an unsettling feeling in his stomach. As it turned out, one of my father's friends had committed suicide the night before. My dad thinks it was a demon of some sort out in the woods that night, howling a victory call, a call that claimed joy for the suicide of my dad's friend. I've had multiple nightmares about that house, all involving humanoid creatures with large eyes watching through the windows from the woods. It unsettles me.
being out there. Even during the day, I feel as though I shouldn't stray too far from the house. Well, about two years ago, my grandfather passed away as well. So now, there's no one that lives out there, except for their cats. I don't know what my father is planning on doing with the place, but whatever it is, I hope it drives back the evil that surrounds it. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way. If you have a scary experience of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. I may just feature it on the show. I'd especially love to hear your story if you have an alleged encounter with the Yeti or other snow creatures. If you want to support the show, be sure to leave a like and a comment, and check the links in the description. Before I go, here are the credits to my patrons, those who have donated before, and those who continue to. They're pretty great people in my book. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Remember when going shopping for groceries was normal? When middle-aged people weren't going full Mortal Kombat over toilet paper rolls? Yeah, those were the good old days, when I could just go to the store to grab a Lunchable and there were only three crying children in the distance, instead of two dozen. Let's sit back and reflect on how going shopping is scarier than ever, with these scary stories that take place at Walmart. Like and share this video if you like what I do, and let me know in the comments what video games you're playing while confined to your home. I've got some Animal Crossing lighting up my double chin face every night now. I'm currently in a feud with my villager Deirdre, because someone got a little cranky when I talked to her too much. Calm down Deirdre, we're on a deserted island together and there are tarantulas everywhere. <clears throat> anyway. If you've got a scary experience, send it to us at darkstories.org, so I can narrate it. Now, let's begin. The Creepy Guy From Jade Speedster 17 This story still freaks me out to this day. I work at Walmart. Retail isn't what I want to do with my life, but it helps pay the water bill my mom has me pay. While the job is monotonous and boring, I still like working there, despite the downs and annoying moments. However, there is just one thing I don't like, and that's this one guy who comes in almost every day. Now, I'm a friendly person. I tend to keep conversations pleasant, talk about some issues with customers if the topic comes up. At the time I first met this guy, who I'll call Backpack Guy at work, I was going through some hardships with my grandfather, who was still alive back then. He had been in the hospital one too many times. I was a nervous wreck, to say the least, as his heart attacks were getting worse, but I made an effort to smile at work. But this guy, he often came over and struck up a conversation with me. I'll describe him to you. 
He has silvery gray hair with hints of brown in it, an older face, possibly thirties or so. He wore a large backpack that often had a speaker in it somewhere or flashing lights. He was tall, at least he was for me as I'm five foot two. He seemed to tower over me. He may have been homeless or maybe mentally challenged or something like that. His speech patterns came in stutters. He tended to change topics quickly, too, and it was difficult for him to focus. I felt bad for him. I'm not some jerk who judges someone based on mental problems or appearance. I know with some help and medication, people can seem normal. Everyone has problems, after all. I even have an aunt who is bipolar, and while she has her strange moments, she's a great person. I figured either the guy was homeless and possibly autistic or something, or just might have had a speech impediment. Maybe he stayed with someone and took medication and simply came to the store to get out of the house. He would ask me some questions about how things were going. I'd tell him the latest in things I was facing at work, whether that was a manager I didn't agree with or just having problems getting work things done with so many customers around. You know normal things. I might happen to say my grandfather was in the hospital again. I didn't mean to say it, but in those moments when people asked how I was doing, it was always at the top of my mind before anything else. But I never said anything too personal. To me, at the time, he was just a regular. Being in a small town, you get regulars a lot. People who you know by face, as they come by enough for you to notice them. And while he was strange, he didn't send up any red flags yet. That was, until he began being very helpful. One day I was in the back-to-school seasonal section, and my supervisor said to zone the area, or pull things forward on the shelf. It was up in the front area near the checkouts. Backpack guy came over again. I smiled and struck up a conversation, as I usually did just to be friendly. He then said he'd help me out and used his walker to get things out from under the area. I told him he didn't have to do that a few times, but some people are just stubborn, so I left him be. Like I said, with a small town, people tend to be overly helpful and friendly, but it started to get weird when I was zoning crafts. We had recently stocked up on the non-toxic paintball stuff, the kind that comes in plastic bags, to me, it smelled horrible, and yours truly just had to be zoning that area when I touched some of the sticky yellow paint stuff. To me, it smelled like a dead rat. I called Charlie over, who was our maintenance guy at the time, to clean it up. Backpack guy was near me when I called him over, so I looked over and said it was sticky and smelled horrible, just joking with him. I held my hands out away from me because I didn't want it on my clothes. The guy then sniffs my hands. Okay, weird, but given I said it smelled bad, he must have wanted to know how bad it smelled. Nothing too strange, I guess. But then he took off one of the bandanas on his hands and said he'd help me clean it off. I was shocked and a bit grossed out. I tried to protest, but I reminded myself he may have been mentally challenged, and he was stubborn. The bandana was wet when he began to whip off the stuff from my hand. I nervously thanked him 
and when Charlie got there, I rushed over and washed my hands in the bathroom with hot water. We had to stay near the spill until the janitor got there, as it was a hazard to customers. That really made me uncomfortable, but I shrugged it off. The guy possibly didn't know social norms or something, but I still decided to be wary of him and to start to keep my guard up more. I saw him a few times after that, but he never did talk long with me. It would just usually be a casual chat. This was getting close to holiday season that year, so I was often too busy to remember or notice these occurrences. For me, it was just zone your department, then help out in the seasonal section. I was helping a lot in hardware. It was a small area. One day, when I was doing some work for my department manager in hardware, the guy came back. This was the day things hit ahead in stress for me, as my grandfather was in the hospital again for heart problems. This was the third or second time in the month. He came over and must have seen a look of concern on my face. He asked me about my day and if I was alright. I casually said my grandfather was in the hospital again, and I was just worried for him. He then proceeded to ask me, What hospital is he in? This took me aback. I reacted quickly with a lie stating that I wasn't sure. Oh, uh, he, he went there when I was here at work. I just got a call from my mom. I lied to him. I knew where he was. I was his granddaughter, but I wasn't about to tell a stranger that. He then said, Well, general area, I might be able to help out if you need to get to him. I have a car. I declined his offer, saying I'm sure my grandfather will be fine. I just tended to be on edge when he goes there. My grandfather was old, after all, and this heart attack was one of many in the past few years. At that time, and luckily for me, my manager comes over, possibly overhearing the conversation or sensing my discomfort. She tells me she needs me in the back for some work. I nodded thinking I needed to get some merchandise to put on the floor, or she needed me to work another shift in the week. The guy proceeded to follow us to the door, though, offering me his phone number. When she got to the door, he said, Here, just take a look. I'm here if you ever need a ride. I pretended to look at the phone to memorize the number. I thanked him, then went back with my manager. I was weirded out, and she asked me about him. I told her about what I mentioned before, briefing her over how personal he was getting with me. Again, I wasn't stupid enough to give out anything very personal on the job. She then told me to be careful around him. She told me some rumors about how he would supposedly harass other women, co-workers, and some customers. There was even a rumor that he, allegedly, may have shown some nasty pictures to people via his phone. That put me even more on edge. I thanked her and went back to work. Of course, the guy tried again to talk to me, and even sort of insulted my manager on her telling him that I was busy and needed to keep my head in work and not have distractions. I was working on an end cap and moving large items that were very heavy. 
Despite some disagreements I have with my manager about things, she's a great person, and I'm grateful for her having my back and making sure I was safe. This also prompted me to find out more about this guy from other co-workers. After all, rumors are just that until you get more than just words of another. I asked the youngest girl there who had worked here possibly the longest. She told me that allegedly he had shown her inappropriate photos of women from the waist up on his phone, saying that that was his girlfriend. Way out of his league, as she put it and clearly just a random picture he found. He supposedly showed many of these to other girls. I figured that out after asking around more. I then went over to the guys in sporting goods, who I feel I'm good friends with. They both told me he was an odd one. He purportedly even told them to not talk to him if he was near a black truck, as they were substance dealers, and he was in with them. Okay, if any of that was true, my guess was that maybe he was selling his medication for cash. The guys in electronics alleged that he would pull up nasty photos on the photo lab computers. A few days ago, from today as of writing this, he said he had gotten Reaper drones and told me they were demons that followed him around and protected him. I hope he was joking. All of this reached a peak when I was working in stationery one day. It was during the Halloween season, my favorite holiday actually. I was going to, after work, look through what they had in terms of costumes, decorations, and candy. Anywho, we had a girl acting as a temporary manager of the craft, stationery, and celebration section until they could find a replacement. Liz was a nice girl used to be a shift associate like me, until she became manager full-time. I was to meet with her after I finished hardware, then go over what was needed to be done. Easy enough. I walked over to find her with the celebration items, possibly doing inventory. I told her I was there to help, and she proceeded to tell me which aisle needed the most tender-loving care, and which ones I could hold off on until the last hour or so of my shift. As we walked down the office supplies, there was Backpack Guy. He saw me and began to talk to himself. He does this when he wants to get your attention. I ignored him. After all, I was with Liz, and she was telling me what she needed me to do, as I had to make note. Once away from him, I asked her about the guy. She told me to be cautious of him. After that, she left to finish her work for the day and later checked on me again before leaving for the night. Here's where it goes from strange to borderline stalkerish. Backpack Guy proceeded to patrol around my department three times to get me alone. The first time was with Liz when I asked her about him. He came near the end of the aisle and peeked out at us, then walked away. The second time I went to talk to Cat a girl working in Halloween when I went to do the plate, plastic forks, and such over in celebrations. I snuck over to her area, which was right next to mine, and asked her about the guy. She also said to be wary of him, as apparently he had been kicked out a few nights ago by the supervisor for bothering some women, and he's supposed to be banned, 
but they don't enforce it. Again, he was at the end, looking at me with squinted eyes and a frown, before leaving again. Seeing my expression, Kat asked if he did that before, and I confirmed it. Once more, she said to be careful. The final time, I was alone at last, but he came back over and asked, How are you? I said, fine, not making eye contact and shuffling away from him as I worked down the area I was in. He followed me every step, staying in my personal space. Has anyone been telling you things about me? I quickly said no, and shrugged at him casually, not looking at him directly. I wished he would just go away. He smelled like fresh garbage and sweat. Well, how about I give you a hug? Panic set in my brain. I said no, a bit more forceful now, and stepped away as he tried to put his arms around me. I moved enough for his hand to just touch me bare neck. I was too warm for my liking and too close. It felt wrong all over. I tensed up. He stared at me and laughed. <laughs> I was just giving you a hug. I laughed nervously and watched him leave. But by then my legs were shaking and my heart was pounding. I shakily made my way to my supervisor, telling her what happened. She took me seriously and told me she'll tell the front-end manager. He took my statement. He ended up calling the girl who told me about the pictures he had supposedly been showing people. I hadn't meant to get them involved, but I don't do well with touching and had to tell someone as that was not okay with me. I'm normally a chill kind of person. The front-end manager took our statements and told us to just keep an eye on the guy. It took me a while to feel safe again in that place, but soon the guy moved on and only talks to me once in a blue moon. I've still asked about him to co-workers. Most of us seem split on whether he's harmless or harmful. But I'll trust my instincts and say he's harmless on his meds. But if he is selling them for cash, I'd say he could be a problem. My work has, however, been very supportive of us being open with these problems. And with the new protection going into place, I hope they make sure he stays out. After all... A guy who openly wears hammers and screwdrivers on his backpack straps and tries to get me in his car doesn't need to be in a crowded store. Lady with Black Eyes From Jess A. At the time of writing this story, I was a teenager. I did the normal things a teen would do. Like hang around Walmart whenever I could, joking around. On one occasion, I was with my cousin's parents. They were going shopping, so my cousin and I were allowed to wander around, just goofing off and looking at things. But to most, we were probably obnoxious. It wasn't long before we noticed a woman was following behind us. She was an older woman, about my cousin's size, which was about five foot five maybe a little bit shorter. She had gray hair mixed with black and looked to be a normal old woman, almost. There was something wrong 
with her eyes. They were the blackest eyes I'd ever seen. And to put it simply, it was really unsettling. I didn't notice her right away. I didn't know for a while that she was following us at all. Until my cousin leaned in and whispered, Do you see her? Looking in the lady's general direction, I followed her gaze. Of course, I had my doubts that she was actually following us. But these doubts changed as we continued to go to different aisles. We went into the makeup aisle, looking at different kinds of makeup. I've never been much of a girly girl, but my cousin is and she loves this stuff. Wouldn't you know it, at the edge of the aisle was the lady, pretending to look at some stuff, but actually staring at us. At this point, I was pretty freaked out, and so was she. We decided to go to the swimming suits, and she was about to follow us again, but we saw my cousin's parents checking out, so we went over to them and eventually left. The second run-in with her was just a day ago, as of posting the story. We were alone looking at the hair dyes. As we were talking, big surprise, the old lady was there again, hiding behind something and just watching. She stared at us with those solid black eyes, and she smiled. Who or what even was she? Her gaze was intensely unsettling, and I had no idea why she was so obsessed with us. We quickly left to the shoe aisle and soon lost her. But still, I don't know what her intentions were. But if I recall correctly, normal people don't have solid black eyes. My Late Best Friend From Jake This is my husband's story. His name is Jake. These are true events taken from him and his mother. The story starts in 1996, so at the time my husband would have been around five. He lived with his mother and grandmother in a small rural town. His mother, who worked at the local gas station at the time, was friends with this woman I'll call Stacy. My husband's mother is Pam. Stacy and Pam hit it off instantly. They were the same age, they worked together, they had everything in common, and they both only had one child. Stacy had a son named Chris. Chris and Jake also became best friends. Their moms would take them on play dates and sleepovers all the time, because, another coincidence, both mothers were single and still living with their parents. Now, Jake and Chris were even chickenpox buddies as Jake caught it simultaneously from Chris. They attended school together, and they even went to Cub Scouts together. When the boys were around seven, Jake and his mother moved from her mother's house into a town about an hour away. So after that, Jake and Chris didn't get to see each other very often. In fact, the last time they saw each other was for Jake's seventh birthday party. Not long after his birthday is when tragedy struck. Chris and his mother Stacy still lived with her parents, and one day while Stacy was at work, his grandfather was watching him after school. They were in the garage. His grandfather was fixing up his collectible car. 
Chris's grandfather ran into the house real quick to see if he could find his wrench, and left Chris alone in the garage for only what seemed like a minute. When the grandfather came back to the garage, he found Chris under some large metal poles that were in the corner of the garage. I don't know much past this, only that he was playing too close to the pipes, and they fell on top of them. The grandfather called 911, but he was pronounced dead when the ambulance arrived. But that's not where the story ends. Pam decided to take Jake to Chris's visitation to help him process the death. My husband says he was too young to remember much. All he really can remember is the funeral home, the flowers, and the sadness. Not long after the visitation, Pam noticed that Jake had an imaginary friend, one that he named Chris. His mother didn't think much of it. She asked other parents about it, and they all said it was just children processing death. Completely normal. Well, time went on, and his imaginary friend didn't go away. They eventually moved back in with Pam's mother, because Pam was going through a divorce. Things calmed down, and half a year passed. However, the imaginary friend named Chris was still there. One day around Christmas, Pam and her mother took Jake to Walmart to look for lights and decorations for their yearly tree. They made a short stop down the toy section, and of course Jake went crazy, like all seven-year-old kids do when they go down the toy aisle. As they traveled down the Toy Express, Jake noticed a plastic electric guitar that would play songs with the push of a button. He asked his mom if she would pick it up so that he could play with it. Pam, of course, being five foot two, could not reach the toy because it was on a high shelf. So Pam and her mother looked around the corner for a Walmart associate. Jake said while they were searching around the corner, It's okay. Chris said he would play it for me. Pam and her mother rolled their eyes as they walked on to find a sales associate, when suddenly, the guitar lit up from the high shelf and began playing the long, exaggerated guitar rhythms. Pam and her mom stared at Jake in disbelief. There was no way he could have reached it himself. They paused for a brief moment, then the guitar fell from the shelf onto the floor. Jake looked at them, grinning. I told you Chris could do it. He can do anything now. Pam and her mother, extremely startled, left the aisle, still in disbelief of what they had seen. To this day, my husband only remembers bits and pieces of this, and has absolutely no recollection of the incident at the store. Jake's mother recently told me this story. She also told me that she spoke to Chris's mother, Stacy, not but five years ago, and Stacy had been experiencing some similar events. She even claimed that Chris never left. Stacy gave birth to a daughter in 2002, and her young daughter started to have experiences too. Even she got an imaginary friend, who she happened to name Chris. I sometimes wonder if that's all possible. As for me, I'm a big skeptic of ghosts, especially the ghosts of children. 
I was born and raised Baptist. But my husband believes it without a doubt. While he doesn't remember some events in his childhood, he definitely does remember his imaginary friend, who, to him, was not so imaginary. My Experience at Walmart from Elise This happened to me around July of last year. I live just north of the Denver metro area in Colorado, about 15 miles from the city. At the time, there were several reports of suspicious activity in the area, from suspected offenders, if you catch my drift, which made me cautious, since I like to do most of my grocery shopping at night, when the stores are empty. On this particular night, it was about 11 o'clock, I pulled into the parking lot and the store was quiet as expected, except for a few other nocturnal shoppers. I was just there for some snacks, so I made my way through the store grabbing the essentials, soda, ice cream, and potato chips, along with a small treat for my dog. Typical Walmart fare. Once I had everything I needed, I headed up to the checkout and scanned all of my items without incident. I paid and made for the exit, and that's when things got weird. A large man in plain clothes stepped in front of me, asking to take a look at my receipt. Normally, there isn't anyone by the door checking receipts at this hour, and if there are, they're almost always in uniform. The request threw me off a bit, but I agreed to let him take a look at my receipt anyway. He scanned the piece of paper for a few seconds and handed it back to me. Do you mind coming with me? He asked. Why? I responded. Everything I'd purchased was there on the receipt and there in my grocery bags. It's nothing you did wrong. He explained. We're just conducting a survey right now. You mind answering a few questions? About what? I asked him. Your shopping experience tonight. He said. I assumed he was with the store's Asset Protection Department, which made it even more strange that he was asking me to come with them to fill out a survey. He went on to add, I'll even throw in two tickets to Red Rocks Amphitheater if you do the survey. Come with me. At that point, I knew something was extremely wrong. There was no way that Walmart was giving out concert tickets for some customer satisfaction survey. I politely declined and went on my way, walking a little faster to my car than usual. As I made it to my car and unlocked the door, I turned to see the man walking through the parking lot, coming after me. My heart dropped. I slammed the ignition button and flew out of the parking lot as fast as I could, eager to get home. The second I make it back to my apartment, I called the store and let them know what had happened. They asked for a description of the man, so I told them what he looked like and where I last saw him. Employees searched the whole store and the entrance, but they never found the man. They assured me that they were not conducting any surveys of any kind, and that the man definitely did not work for Walmart. I wholeheartedly believe that if I had gone with that man, he would have abducted me. I was lucky that I made it to my car.
Now the following two stories are from previous videos, but I figured you guys would enjoy them as they match the topic. So, enjoy. Walmart McDonald's Haunting, submitted by DHB. I've been working at a built-in McDonald's in a Walmart since July of 2008. I started on the bottom rung and eventually worked my way into management. Over the years, there have been stories floating around since the place opened in the spring of 2005 that this particular location was built on top of a graveyard, or what was once a graveyard. But to me, that sounded ridiculous, and I never believed it. The first six or so years I worked there, we were owned and operated by McDonald's Operations Division, McOpco, which we called it. As such, we were required to have a third shift during the Christmas season from Thanksgiving until after New Year's. Most of these overnight shifts were very slow with few orders, so all that was required for the majority of the shifts was just a manager and a crew person. I was asked to do an overnight shift, and it was just the manager and myself for the night. It was about 1.30 a.m. when I was at the grill and the manager was wiping down the pile of trays that had been left from the previous shift when we both heard a commotion in the stockroom. I remember it pretty clearly. It sounded like yelling in a different language that none of us could understand. It certainly wasn't any languages that we were familiar with. Over time, after many of these experiences, we simply referred to it as the ghost. Over the years, there have been other incidents, and each one seems to creep us out even further, making our joke about the ghost something sinister. It isn't uncommon for our employees to see a dark shadow cross along the back of the store, moving towards the stockroom at night, as you're facing the grill from the front counter. Adding to the mystery are random and unexplained noises that people hear during the night shift while doing inventory. Some of it even sounds like music, while other people report ghostly screams and cries. There are also other events that we can't explain. For example, it isn't unusual for one of the registers to ring up an order and immediately serve it off on both the monitor in the back and to the front counter. To make things even creepier is that when the drawers are counted at the end of the shift, the drawer balance is exact even though it should be short whatever the amount is for the particular item that was rung up. We have objects that have seemingly fallen from the racks we use for our holding trays and other small wares without reason. Reviewing the security footage shows these strange orbs of light that happen to be moving by when the items fell off the shelves. And then there have been times when I've been in the store by myself at 2 or 3 in the morning doing the end-of-month inventory when I'll get a cold shiver up my spine out of nowhere. Of course, the Walmart associates also have their own stories. One of our former employees who went to work for Walmart doing overnight maintenance, shortly after quitting in April 2015 when we were sold to an owner-operator, would report weird ghostly chants deep in the stockroom where the cleaning supplies are kept, as well as dark shadows. Other associates have confided in me weird encounters they have had with cold breath on their necks or cold hands and fingers touching them. Sometimes inappropriately, occasionally, an associate will not heed the stories of what happens here and will occasionally taunt these entities, 
and oftentimes have things happen to them that can't be explained. One such associate was found passed out in an aisle in a far corner of the stockroom. Upon reviewing the security footage, it showed the associate appearing to struggle with an invisible object before falling straight to the floor, where they laid 20 minutes before being found. It really goes to show you that no matter how safe and secure a place can be, or how brightly lit it is, there are things lurking around the next corner that cannot be explained in ways that satisfy a sane individual. Demon in the Walmart Warehouse Submitted by King K I'm 22 years old and I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. I now live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I moved here two years ago in 2015. Honestly, the city is fine, but I could care less for the weather. Now, being from New Orleans, you probably think that I know all about ghosts, demons, and such. That really isn't the case, though. You see, I honestly haven't had any paranormal things happen to me in Louisiana at all. I just think people in rural areas and less populated places have to deal with weirder things. The most I had to worry about down there was being fired at, since the crime rate was so high. Anyway, I picked up a job at Walmart in Wincote, Pennsylvania. This Walmart is literally across the street from the Philadelphia city line. When I started the job, I was hired to be a part of the remodel team. The store at the time was in desperate need of being remodeled, and I would be working 8 to 5 Monday through Friday. Walmart had a warehouse building an hour away from there, but I forget which town it was exactly. Now, this warehouse is where the story actually takes place. You see, the first two months at the job, I hadn't gone inside that warehouse. A select few of us were always picked to go, and it would usually always be the same guys. One day, though, my manager, M asked if I could go there with him and the others, since one of them that normally went wouldn't be able to show up for work that day. I agreed. Honestly, I was ready to get out of that store for the day, so this was a perfect escape for me. We loaded up into his car, and we set off to the warehouse. On the ride there, M was telling me about what I would need to do while I'm there. All in all, the plan sounded simple enough and if I needed further assistance, I would have Shelly and Ray Ray to help me. Those two are my co-workers, who I've gained a lot of friendship from while working there. Then they started to warn me about this one room in the warehouse, where the lights don't come on. They said they felt a weird presence every time they're near it, that cliché feeling of dread. They proceeded to tell me their own stories. One time... M was checking the back room of the storage area we used, and he turned his back to the room in question, and the lights began to flicker on and off. He then ran like a madman out of there, all the way past his other co-workers. I guess he had seen something, and he didn't want to be a part of it. Shelley then chimed in, and said he'd seen a figure in the dark room with glowing red eyes while he and Ray Ray were working one day. He quickly hurried up the process and got far and away from that room. 
When he explained why he rushed so fast, it's because they went to take a look afterwards, and they saw nothing there. Nothing that could have caused those red eyes. Ray Ray didn't really have a story, but he did admit to feeling uncomfortable around that room. I then proceeded to laugh at them. Like, come on, guys, why are y'all playing with me? M shook his head and said, Oh, you'll see. You'll see very, very soon. I really found it funny, because I've never heard paranormal or ghost stories from other black people before. I just took it as if they were trying to scare me and nothing more. It was my first time at the warehouse, after all. Maybe they were hazing me. We finally make it to the building, and the place is huge. Half the thing is still used as an office of some sort, and the other half is the warehouse. M lets us inside, and then goes to turn on all the lights. There are pallets of shelves and cases everywhere. They gave me a brief tour of it, and then proceeded to show me the room. It was a doorless dark room, with the only light coming from a red exit sign above a door that I assumed led out of the room. I laughed and said, So that's it. Y'all have to be kidding me, while continuing to laugh. I'm going to see the big scary room, I said, while walking towards it. They stood there a safe distance away from the place, while watching me go in. To be honest with you, I couldn't care less about stuff like that at the time. I walked in and examined the room. With full confidence, I yelled to them that they are tripping and are too grown to be scared of a dark room. I could hear M sigh, then told us to get started with the work. Most of the day went pretty uneventful, just easy work of tossing shelves and moving pallets. At lunch, we ate pizza that M ordered for us, and we made sure to relax on 15-minute breaks whenever possible. At one point, I had the urge to use the bathroom. I informed Ray that I was going to be right back after I used the restroom. He acknowledged it, and I left for the bathroom. Now, the restroom looked beyond creepy to me. Just the setup of it was weird itself. When you walk in, you see the sinks to the left. Then you have to round a corner to get to the urinals. You can see three stalls directly to the left of the urinals facing you, and the fourth stall was covered by the piece of the wall. It was very dark over the fourth and third stalls, like the light above it was off, but the other two stalls were lit up brightly by the lights above them. The thing I found weird was exactly how dark it was over the third and fourth stalls, like impossibly dark. I ignored it and went to do my business in one of the urinals. While I was doing my business, I suddenly felt a cold chill go through my body that caused me to shiver a little. I could feel my hair standing on end as well. Puzzled, I looked around me, only to see nothing out of the ordinary. There's nothing there at all. I hurried up and finished and then went to go to wash my hands. As I left the bathroom, I chuckled at myself for how ridiculous I was acting. What the heck was wrong with me, I thought. I got back and continued my work. M then proceeds to tell me and Ray to go to the back room and gather certain objects for a pallet he needs to be made. While we're looking around, 
I happen to notice that we are right by the dark room. I then tell Ray that I don't see what's the big deal about that room. There's just something not right about it, man, he says. I smile and shake my head, and I said, Come on, let's go in the big bad room. Hesitantly, he joins me, and we walk right into the middle of that room. With my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I can make out old tables and debris scattered around the room. No demons or ghosts in here, I said. Ray sighs, then says he's going back to finish gathering the stuff for M. I decided to stay there for a minute to see if anything would happen. But there's nothing. Just a big, empty room. I shake my head, then proceed to leave. I'm ten yards away from the door when suddenly something squawks and flies past me. Something huge. I jump back and yell, What was that? Ray runs over to see what's going on. He finds me sitting down, looking in the direction the thing flew in. From the darkness of the ceiling, I can make out a shape. It was bird-like, like an impossibly big pigeon or raven. It was like a shadow that had risen from the ground and had become a shape itself. Its eyes, though, that's what gave it away. They were red, but not so much glowing, just a glossy red. I could feel a pressure or presence coming from the thing, like I couldn't believe the feeling I was experiencing this. I never felt that way before, and I was trying to figure out what it was. When Ray placed his hand on my shoulder and yanked on my shirt, I finally snapped out of it, and we ran out of that room. Honestly, after that I was pretty shocked. I never expected to see the truth or proof to their feelings and stuff that they always talked about, about the legends of the black, dark room. That's all that's happened to me so far. I've been back there a couple more times, but luckily I haven't had any more situations with the room. I felt I needed to share this story, because it's opened my mind to the world of spirits and the supernatural. I find them interesting now. I enjoy listening to stories about them and have a new respect for those that experience it. Learn from my mistake. Don't be too quick to say something isn't real if you don't know anything about it. Otherwise, you could be blindsided in the most horrifying way. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry. More scary stories are coming up, so stay tuned. Remember, if you want me to narrate your story, share it with us at darkstories.org. And if you want to support the show, check the links in the description. Now, here are the credits to my current and past patrons. They've really helped me out. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one.
I have no idea what we saw that night. I've searched everywhere for sightings or even myths around the area we saw it and have found nothing. But my husband and I think it could have been a Wendigo. My friends and I go camping a lot, and my favorite place is in Red River Gorge, Kentucky. We go there often, and I've been ever since I was an infant. I'm 28 now, married with a kid, and still go there. It is the closest place to where I live where you can see the Milky Way pretty much every night. It's perfect for stargazing, and I've seen a shooting star every clear night I've been there. When we go without our kid, we night hike to a good lookout point and stargaze for hours. Our first experiences night hiking, we would go to trails we knew well that were used frequently during the day. Ones with log fences and gazebo resting places. The most used trail is a trail in Natural Bridge State Park that leads up to the Natural Bridge. This trail is around two miles uphill, depending on your starting point. I've done this trail every summer of my life. I could do it blindfolded. It has wooden steps, carved rock steps, log handrails, multiple sitting points under a roof, trash cans, but after reaching the main trailhead, it had no lights at all. It's used often, and while it is uphill, the difficulty is low. As long as you have good grip on your shoes and water, you'll be fine. My friends have done it with me multiple times and are confident in it as well. Hiking this trail at night is not allowed, but it is the woods, and I've never really been one to care about closing times for the literal outside. When we used this main trail to hike to the top, we would park in a lot designated for the pool and Hoedown Island. You walk across the road that leads to the pool, and you're at the first trail marker. You go up gravel for a while and pass the Natural Bridge State Park Lodge. There's a waterfall and some lights, so it was best to go fast and watch out for rangers, who would tell us to leave. Then you walk across another road and there's a mini-shelter to sit in, or a small rock wall to rest your legs. Then, it's the beginning of the trail to the top. That night was weird to begin with. As soon as we started the hike, the clouds took over, and it appeared we'd be walking for nothing to even stargaze at. But we went anyway, just in case it cleared out by the time we got up there. In the beginning, it was just normal paranoia that was keeping us stressed and quiet, it seemed. You know you've reached the bottom of the bridge when you see a giant wall of limestone. During this time, there was a gazebo that set to the right of this wall, and the trail continued and followed next to the wall. Where you come from is a fairly steep part of the trail, and the gazebo was welcomed. My husband, my best friend at the time, and I all sat on the gazebo steps. The bench is under a roof and even darker than the rest of the outside. So we just stayed on the steps. We were looking down the trail that follows the limestone wall. We each have a bright LED headlamp and a handheld flashlight. We don't usually look at each other when we night hike, because the lights are so bright. 
We sat in a line like the Lord's Supper, and walked in a line, or staggered, so we don't blind ourselves. It's after hours at this point. No ski lift rides had gone up for hours, and the rangers had already done their sweep, and had left right before we got out of the car to head up. We left no time between them making sure the trail and top were clear, before starting our hike up. The ski lift takes you up to the top, but there are workers that stay and do counts and only leave after it's clear. I guess I have to make these points because that's what I was thinking when seemingly out of nowhere, this girl with a headlamp begins to walk down the trail we're looking out at. She's in a sundress and flip-flops. This hike is uphill, and while it is a fairly easy hike, it is not easy without water or real shoes. She'd have to have hiked up and down to this point with no food or water. Her light was bright, and when she reached where the trail turns from in front of the gazebo to down where we came from, she stopped. She just stood there straight on, like how a human is presented in an anatomical drawing. She was looking directly at all of us sitting there, and her light made me bring my hand up to shield my eyes. She didn't turn away from our lights at all, and she didn't even seem bothered that she had six LED lights aimed right at her face. I said, uh, Hello? She responded with a pause between every word, something like, Hello, how are you? I said something along the lines of, Uh, good. How are you? She took even longer pauses than before, and said, Oh, I'm fine. She then just stood there, still with her hands to her side, and facing and staring at us. Her light made it impossible to really see her face, and it was so bright I had my hand up the entire time until she just turned and walked slowly down the trail where we had just come up. She got to a part where the trail turned, and we saw her light just stay in that one spot for a minute, until she turned and the light faded out of sight. We waited for a while before continuing up. I kept making comments about how weird that was, but everyone else just made it out to me always being afraid. But no one ever came after her. She had done this hike alone, at night, and somehow without being found by any ranger. We got up after a bit, and started back up to the top. It felt like it took much longer than it ever had in the past, but we made it to the top. There are stone steps named Fat Man Squeeze that get you to the top of the bridge, and you can walk across it and whatever. Going up and being on the top, we could hear twigs snapping. We lay down and try to stargaze, but the clouds are even thicker now. It was miserably hot. We could hear voices at times and my husband kept checking for people we heard. He never saw anyone. 
We saw a light flash, never saw anyone attached to it. But then we heard a bird call, but it wasn't like a real bird noise at all. It sounded like a person making bird calls, like rhythmic and not really natural. I was convinced we were not alone and had not been alone, but I was also the most easily spooked. I asked if we could leave as soon as they were ready to. They were ready right then and there, and that scared me that they were just as afraid as me at that point. We began going down the way we came. It felt like it was taking so long. We were going steady and quick. It was downhill, but we were not making any ground, it seemed. It's hard to explain, but it was so weird that, at one point, I even said aloud, This feels much longer. And they agreed with me. I kept looking behind me with the flashlight, and my husband kept looking out to the sides. My friend kept hers mostly forward. I kept feeling watched. I could not figure out what footsteps were ours, or if they were all ours that I heard. I would turn in the direction of any noise, but not see anything. When my husband was walking, he kept saying he was catching eyes in his flashlight. Usually, you can catch raccoon eyes spying on you, or some animal like that. He was afraid it was a bear, or a large dog, or something, and he never got his lights on whatever eyes they were, long enough to see an animal size or shape. Now, we're hiking down semi-flattish area, at least compared to the downhill hike we'd been doing. The log fence, or handrail, or whatever it was called, was on our right side. We're in a row walking within reaching distance of this barrier, and my husband just stops walking altogether and says, What's that? But the question is more of an alert. I move my lamp in that direction and don't see anything at first. Then both of his lights catch a shape, and then my headlamp catches it, and I move my hand lamp to center and catch it while my friend simultaneously finds it in her lights as well. All six lights, now shining onto, and kind of reflecting, off of a light, gray creature. It's bent in a crouching position, kneeling on its right leg, and starts turning towards us. It begins to slowly stand. My mind is racing still. It looks human, but it's too big. People mistake human shapes for what's actually bears in the woods often, but this thing was skinny. It was thin and big, and almost white it was so light gray, and its skin resembled dolphin skin. There was a shine to it. Our lights reflected a little off of it. It gradually comes to a full standing position in front of us. Its head is long, and its eyes are in a human position on the face, in front, and not on the side. But I could not see any other facial features, just big, almost empty holes or pits that were its eyes. It looked directly at us and our lights. The way it stood was intimidating, almost like when a snake raises up and flexes its neck all crazy, to show prey that they're stronger, smarter. 
was like. It was stepping up to a fight. From crouching, then turning, then standing front on in front of us. The arms hung down low, and the hands seemed long too. Its hands had to be by its knees. I'd guess it stood nine feet or so, and not that far in front of us. No hair at all, and its head was large as well. I couldn't process what I saw, and I was frozen. Then I feel my husband hitting me on the back, yelling, Run! 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 I start to understand we have to get away from this thing, and it pivots and runs to the right. It was going backwards on the trail, so it could get around the barrier and onto the trail behind us. We take off running the rest of the way down the trail, knowing that this thing just took off much faster than us, and after it had crossed from behind the barrier, it would be gaining on us quick. We didn't talk at all, because when we tried, it felt almost like we would get caught. We kept running as fast as we could, but some areas are so steep, it never felt like we were out of sight from that creature. As we made it to the trail beginning with the gravel, we could hear something to the side crashing down through the trees. We ran until we got to the car, and then we drove as fast as we could. As soon as we got to the main road, the sky cleared up, and the stars were out. When that thing looked at us, I knew it was smarter and faster than us. I knew that if we hadn't seen it, then it could have easily taken one of us and gotten away. I think the only reason it hesitated was because so many of us saw it at once, and we stayed together. When we made it back to where we were staying, all of us took out our phones and wrote a note for what we saw happen. We hadn't spoken about it until after we looked at each other's phones, and the stories were the same. Without a doubt, we had all seen something real. These creatures are said to change shape, either to hunt down their prey or to escape. But sometimes it seems they change forms simply to haunt people like you and me. If only I could shapeshift, then I could fly into the sky as a bird and accomplish my ultimate destiny. Getting hit by an airplane. These are five allegedly real encounters with shape-shifting creatures. If you have a creepy or unexplained experience, I want to hear and possibly narrate your story. Just send it to us at darkstories.org. 
Oh, and riddle me this. If you could shapeshift into just one animal, what would it be? I kinda want to be a chameleon so I can watch TV and see what the heck my dog is chewing on at the same time. And hey, if you like what I do, please like this video. It's quick, easy, and it really helps out. Thank you. Now, let's begin. Possible Skinwalker from Sonoran Mermaid This experience took place in 2014, during my first year of college. I attended a large university in New Mexico for my first year of college. It was nearly on the other side of the country from where I lived. I was fortunate enough that my grandpa allowed me and my mother to live in his winter vacation home while I attended school. The city where I went to college is one of the larger ones in the state, and it's well known for its unique mountain range that, several years ago, became a national monument. My grandpa's house was outside the city, set fairly close to the base of the mountains. It was a good 15-minute drive from the house to the edge of the city. There are no streetlights after the edge of the city. Cell reception is spotty, too, at best, and the only traffic that comes that way are people who live that far out. Not to mention the drive from the city's edge to my grandfather's house is 15 minutes through empty desert. It's very beautiful, but also very, very remote. As a college student, there wasn't a whole lot to do outside of classes, but one thing that was pretty popular if you liked the outdoors and didn't mind dodging cactus, large insects, and the occasional rattlesnake was hiking. One afternoon, I was driving up to the base of the mountains to meet a friend for a hike. The road to the trailhead is unpaved with a lot of twists and turns, and it's very badly washboarded. These turns and dips in the road make it impossible to see very far down the road. That day, I was about a third of the way down the dirt road, when I came around a particularly large turn, and there, standing right at the edge of the road, was a very large dog. The dog looked somewhat like an Australian shepherd. It had similar coloring and no tail. It was just standing there, staring right at me through the front windshield. Now, we were a good five-plus miles away from a house in any direction, so I thought it was pretty weird to see a dog, all alone way out here. There was nothing but desert surrounding us for miles. No shade, no water, nowhere to find shelter, nothing. So being a huge animal lover... I pulled over a little ways up the road, grabbing my dog's spare leash that I kept in the car. Then I climbed out to try and find that dog. I figured maybe it had a collar, so I'd be able to possibly bring it back to its family, if it let me approach. When I exited the car, I was surprised to see that the dog was now a very good distance off the road and into the brush. How it had gotten that far so quickly and without making a sound was beyond me. But it was still staring right at me, 
I began to walk towards it, calling out as I did. Come here, sweetie. It's okay. The dog waited until I was about halfway towards it, before turning and running further into the desert. Probably very stupidly, I decided to follow after it. Now, when you look out over a low desert landscape, it appears to be flat. Anyone who has lived in the southwest can tell you that that is not necessarily true. Flash floods and high winds carve out the sand, making small dips and mounds. Walking across the desert for any distance, longer than several paces, can, in certain areas, be quite tedious. The land that I was walking over to try and get to this dog was like this. Moving forward was slow, and it was more of a hike as I got snagged on branches and large thorns from the plants around me. I called out again to the dog. It turned and looked at me over its shoulder. We did this start and stop thing for a little while, and every time the dog stopped, it would watch me as I continued to stumble and trudge through the rocks and brush towards it. This went on until, finally, I was able to get close enough to the dog to see that its eyes were yellow. Yellow. This made me stop and blink, trying to make sense of what I was looking at. When I did, I realized that I was now dangerously far away from the road and my car. I'd gone much further into the desert than I should have. I may not have been able to make my way back. I was supposed to be meeting my friend, so I checked my phone and realized I was close to being late, too. I called the dog one last time, and again it ignored me, so I turned and stumbled back to my car. I stopped a few times to look back, and every time I did, the dog was still staring at me. It took me a good fifteen minutes to get back to the car, and when I finally did and began to drive away, I looked back in my rearview mirror and was startled to see the dog standing in the middle of the road watching me drive away. How the heck had it gotten there so fast? It would have had to run at full speed over the rocks and plants, and I would have definitely heard that. By the time I made it up the mountain to the trailhead to meet my friend, I was still deeply shaken by this encounter. I was relieved to see my friend when he arrived. When I got home, I told my mom about the weird dog. I could tell she didn't fully believe me. She asked me to describe it. I did, and she asked if I was sure it wasn't just a coyote. I insisted that it was a dog, for sure, and she said it sounded more like a coyote, and that it's never a good idea to go following wild animals into the desert. About a week later, I had forgotten about this weird encounter and was driving into the city down the one main road that led into the desert housing community when I saw the same dog. It was the same dog, I was sure of it. Scruffy, looking like it needed a bath and a good brushing, no tail. It was standing on the shoulder of the opposite side of the road, exactly like it had been the first time I saw it. Now this really freaked me out 
because we were a good twenty-minute car ride from the location that I'd first seen it all. None of the other cars seemed to notice the dog, which was really weird. It was a very large dog, after all. It looked to be about eighty-five pounds. But what really scared me was that when I got about one hundred yards away from the dog, I realized that it was staring at my car. As I drove past, its head moved so that its gaze followed me. And as I drove away, I looked in the rearview mirror and saw the dog was still staring at me. The same thing happened again on the same road several weeks later. Things were quiet after that for a little while. About a month after the second time, my father flew in from home to visit for Thanksgiving. One night at around 9.30, when Mom and Dad were already in bed, I got up to wash my face and put my hair up before going to bed myself. Now, my bedroom was at the back of the house, and the bathroom was at the front, right by the front door. About four large steps away from the front door, to be exact. To get to the bathroom, I had to walk down the hall and past my parents' bedroom. I had just rounded the turn in the hallway, and was a few paces from the bathroom, when I heard and saw the doorknob of the front door shake and jiggle, as if someone on the other side was turning it, trying to get in. I froze. It felt like an eternity. But I couldn't move. I couldn't think. It was like I was frozen to the spot. Now, when you walk into my grandpa's house... You walk right into the dining room. The side of the dining room has a floor to ceiling window that is right next to the front door. The window is actually two separate windows, a large one that is placed like a normal window, and a small short one that sits underneath that and starts a couple of inches above the floor and goes up about a foot. Both of these windows have blinds, and on this night the blinds were closed on both. I figured that if I could get up the courage to walk past the front door, I would be able to peek out the lower window and see if there was someone standing at the door without them seeing me seeing them. Ever so slowly, after the doorknob stopped rattling, I inched past the door, turned on the porch light, and moved to the window. There was no noise now, but the house was surrounded by gravel, so if the person had moved or left, I would have heard them. Crouching down, I knelt so that my face was level with the lower window, and I held my breath, hands on the blinds, ready to look out. I braced myself to see someone's ankles. Ever so slowly, I lifted one blind and peeked out. What I saw will forever be burned in my mind, and it still haunts me. Standing on the doorstep was a black cat with huge yellow eyes, and it was right on the other side of the glass, face to face with me, staring right into my eyes. I shrieked and fell back, dropping the blind. I ran, half crying, half gasping for air, into my parents' bedroom, I dragged my mom, who was still half asleep, to the window and opened the blinds. The cat was gone. 
We opened the blinds of both windows all the way, and there was nothing there. My mom tried to open the front door, but half sobbing, half shrieking, I would not let her. I could tell my mom still didn't fully believe me. How could a cat have reached the doorknob? It was a large cat, sure, but even standing up on its back legs, it wouldn't have been able to reach the doorknob. But the cat had been the only thing outside, and I know I saw the doorknob shake. And it was like the cat had known the exact place that I would be peeking out of. It had been face to face with me when I opened the blinds. The most disturbing part about this encounter was that I didn't realize until the morning afterwards that both the dog and that cat had the same overly large, piercing yellow eyes. Now, we've owned animals, and I've been around them my entire life. I've never seen a cat or a dog with that color of yellow in their eyes, not before and not since. They didn't glow exactly, but they seemed to have their own light from within. I still don't know what it was I saw out there in the desert, but when I told a native friend years later, he got very nervous and said that it was good that I didn't go after it again. The Big Bad Wolf From Batwill 85 Ever since I was a child, I've been terrified of werewolves, and wolves too, especially movies about them. And as a kid, I was crazy enough to watch them. I would cover my eyes whenever I knew the scary wolf was going to appear. So this obviously gave me terrible nightmares for most of my life. It was a Friday, on Halloween night, my favorite holiday. At the time, I worked as an English teacher in a company I always thought didn't appreciate me. On that night, I was planning to watch a horror film marathon, like I did every year. But this time around, I was thinking about watching a werewolf movie. And one of my co-workers recommended me an old movie called An American Werewolf in London. It sounded scary. And I really wanted to face my fears and give it a shot. On that day, I was excited. I had already bought candy for trick-or-treaters and some beer for me. I wished I didn't have to work until 5 p.m., though. As soon as I got off work, I took my things and left my office. I drove my car home, which I called the Batmobile, to execute my plans. I listened to Thriller on the way there, which I always loved listening to on Halloween night. I got home around 7 p.m. or so, took my beer to the fridge, drank a long sip, and heard the door ring, which scared me for a second. But then I heard trick-or-treat behind the door. So I opened up, complimented the kids' cool costumes, and gave them candy. The trick-or-treaters kept visiting me until 8 p.m., and all the while I listened to heavy metal and ate some ramen for dinner. After that, I grabbed my laptop and watched my horror movie marathon. I left American Werewolf in London for last. I sometimes had to pause to grab another beer. Let it be known that that movie scared the crap out of me, but I still thought it was a great movie. I was six beers in, and decided to go to sleep. That night, I had a terrible nightmare, 
where I had to run away from a werewolf in a dark, foggy, and creepy forest, which was lit by the full moon. In my dreams, I was screaming my lungs out. I felt extremely disoriented and terrified of the huge, bulky, black shape that was the werewolf chasing after me. I ran for my life for what seemed like hours, but I felt the beast closing in on me. I turned around several times, and all I could see was its dark silhouette, bright red eyes, and yellow teeth bared at me. I screamed again and ran a bit faster. Out of the blue, I came across a huge fallen tree that blocked my way. I had no choice but to jump over it. I could hear the werewolf growling and panting behind me. It jumped the tree, too. While I was still mid-air, I felt a sharp pain on my back, and I woke up suddenly. Then I jumped out of my bed from fright, hitting my body against the floor. I cursed and rubbed my eyes. I stood up, when out of nowhere, I felt a sudden and deep pain on my back. Exactly the same spot from the dream. I tried reaching for the place where I felt it, but couldn't. So I went to the bathroom to wash my face, get some water, and look at myself in the mirror. I turned around, and to my horror, there were five bloody gashes on my back. I jumped forward and yelled, wondering, what is that? I went to the hospital and got my wound patched up. When asked what happened by the doctor, I told them that my cat scratched me. They obviously didn't believe it, and I didn't even own a cat. To this day, I still ask myself, was it just a crazy dream, or did my terrified mind somehow make it a reality? The truth to the matter is, I never watched another werewolf movie again. I was horrified at the thought of having another nightmare as vivid as that one. After being attacked in my nightmare, I'm scared that the werewolf in my dream was quite real, and I don't want to go back. Cahokia Werewolf From Lady Darkness 666 I am a 23-year-old girl who had quite the encounter three years ago on some back roads of Cahokia, Illinois. One night, I was having a bad day, so I hit up a buddy named B. B swooped by, and we went on a late-night road trip. We made it to these crossroads. On one side, there's nothing but fields, and a little abandoned church. Legend has it, many years ago, the pastor of that church supposedly killed his wife and children, then himself inside the church. On the other side of the crossroads is a little bit of field and a decent-sized patch of woods. There's another church with a parking lot there. B and I ventured out behind that church, facing the patch of woods. We stayed in the car for a while, talking about each other's days. At a certain point, I looked up out of the windshield and I saw an eight to nine foot tall being. And horrifically, it was your textbook image of an upright werewolf. It was massive, easily larger than Andre the Giant. It was black, 
covered with hair. The ears were tall and pointed, similar to a German shepherd. The eyes were reflecting or glowing orange-red. Its hands, or rather claws, were huge. The head on this thing was large as well, ending in a long snout. I couldn't stop staring at it until I rubbed my eyes, trying to be sure that I wasn't seeing things. As I sat there, bewildered and horrified, the creature looked back, showing its teeth to us in a way that should have been a threat, but appeared more like a smile. Its teeth looked like they could tear through you as if you were butter. I nudged B, letting him know that we needed to leave. He looked at me, asking why. Then he followed my gaze, which never left that thing. B yelled. He backed out of the parking lot, like a bat out of heck. We hit the road, and I looked out the side mirror. I saw it standing there in the middle of the road, on two legs, watching us drive away. I could still see that smile on its face. As we put more distance between us and that thing, we suddenly hear a blood-chilling howl. It reminded me a lot of the werewolf from the movie Van Helsing, the one he turns into when he fights Dracula towards the end. I'm just glad we were able to get away before it decided to make us its next meal. M. The Medicine Man and the Skinwalker From Michelangelo 987 well, what can I say? It's another skinwalker story. Personally, I keep an eye and ear out for paranormal activity, so if something comes along my way, eventually I won't be surprised. This particular account is about a friend of mine. I'll call her M. I recall talking to her about a certain camping trip she went on in Colorado about two years ago. I wasn't there myself, but I remember her coming back from that trip. What struck me as odd was that, one, she came back later than her friends did, and two, she was very hesitant on telling me what happened on the trip. Eventually, she spilled the beans on her account of a skinwalker. When she told me the story, I was very shocked. I asked her friends that went with her on the trip about the topic, and they too had a bit of a story to tell. Nothing as extreme as M's account, though. I haven't thought about it until it was brought up to me by my twin brother. He got M to tell him the story, too. We talked about it for a while, and after that conversation, I thought it was time, with M's permission, of course, to share the tale of M, the medicine man, and the skinwalker. Like I said, it was about two years ago. M's spring break was coming up at the time. Her friend, whom me and my twin called Trigger Happy, invited M to a week-long hiking trip in Colorado. She accepted the invitation and took all the necessary preparations. M, Trigger Happy, and three more friends accompanying them left on the Friday before the official week of the spring break. Since M, me, and everyone I have mentioned so far lives in Michigan, they had to fly to Colorado. 
They then rented a cheap car and stayed at a cheap motel, not too far from the airport. On Saturday, they drove to their destination, unloaded the hiking and camping gear, and hiked a short distance to a good camping spot. The first three nights were rather uneventful, M said in her own words. She said that only Trigger Happy and one of the other friends had experience in overnight hiking trips, so they moved slowly through the woods. On the fourth day during the late evening, the group heard what they thought were just animal noises. However, Trigger Happy informed the group that they didn't think those were normal animal noises. The group began to listen intently, and they too realized the unnatural characteristics of the noises. M described them as a man trying to imitate a coyote howl or bark, but the attempt was very close to the actual sound of one. The noises eventually stopped, and they finally retired for the night. On the last night of their planned trip, the skinwalker appeared. That evening, they were enjoying a campfire when one of the friends noticed a pair of amber eyes peering at them through the darkness of the trees. The group went silent and stared at the eyes. Then it showed itself. It slowly walked out of the trees on hind legs and entered their field of vision. M described it as a tall, nearly bone-thin, zombie, coyote humanoid. That's all she had to say about it. I knew what she saw was a skinwalker. That description was all I needed to know. This skinwalker walked around the group at a slow pace. The group was frozen in fear. No one dared to move. The skinwalker was behind Trigger Happy when it suddenly snapped its head towards M. It then smiled a broad and evil smile and began to walk towards her. M remembered Trigger Happy's face turning from fear to anger. He stood up, grabbing the closest throwable item. In this case, it happened to be a hand-sized stone, and tossed it at the skinwalker. It landed straight in the back of its head. The skinwalker turned and gave Trigger Happy an unsettling snarl and somewhat of a roar that resembled a bark. Trigger Happy looked back at it with a challenging stare. The creature snapped its head at him, then Trigger Happy, then bolted into the darkness of the forest. The group packed up their gear and went to the car as quickly as they could. After some time, they made it to the car. They then packed everything as quickly as possible and drove down the road to the nearest town. Trigger Happy was driving, and Em was in the front passenger seat. She recalled thinking about the skinwalker's smile and those glowing amber eyes it had. Suddenly, the car came to a halt. Em looked over at Trigger Happy and saw that he was looking at something in the road with great fear in his eyes. Em didn't bother looking. She knew that the skinwalker had blocked the road. Now, remember when I told you that the story shocked me? It was because of how extreme this part was. Again, this is not my story, so if you don't believe it, that's fine. I'm just telling the story the way M told it to me. Even I'm not sure whether to believe it or not. 
the skinwalker had blocked the road. What M did not expect to happen was when the skinwalker walked to the side of the car and ripped the door right off its hinges. It cut through M's seatbelt and grabbed M's arm. Before it could drag M out, Trigger Happy grabbed onto her arm. M basically became the center of a tug-of-war. The remaining friends were frozen in fear, watching this terrifying struggle between man and beast. After what seemed like ages, Trigger Happy could not hold on anymore and let go. M was then being dragged into the forest, helplessly, as she looked desperately back to Trigger Happy and the rest of her friends. When she could no longer see them, she felt she was going to die. Then a feeling came upon her. She described it to me as a feeling of determination, that she couldn't let it end here. She managed to get her arm free of the skinwalker, after some intense struggling. She then ran off into the direction that she thought her friends were in. After some time of running, the skinwalker caught up to her, and she remembered being knocked off her feet. She turned to see it pacing towards her. Feeling a fallen branch under her hand, she swung it at the creature's head, causing it to stumble backwards. She dropped the branch and ran away. She didn't care where. All she wanted to do was get away from it. After some time of running, she stumbled across a cabin with lights on the inside. She ran to it, pounding on the door and screaming for help. M told me that before she could call for help again, she ran out of breath from her being so tired after running for so long. Fortunately, a Native American man answered the door, asking what she was doing there so late at night. His question was quite calm, though. M remembered the man being older. He was wearing tribal clothing and had a wise, calming, and powerful face. She explained that she needed help, that there was something after her. He asked what it could be. The man sounded genuinely concerned. M then heard the same snarl and a roaring bark-like sound, just as she had heard earlier that night. When she turned around, the skinwalker was there, and the man said in a dark voice, Ye not Lucii. The man commanded her to get inside while basically forcing her in. She remembered standing in the stranger's cabin, listening to him speak in an unknown language to her. Then she heard the skinwalker do the snarl and roar bark thing again, which was soon followed by the man shouting an unknown phrase. His shouting was so powerful that it made M jump. Minutes later, the man walked inside and put his hands on M's shoulders. He then told her that everything would be fine and that the creature was now gone. She asked him what it was. He told her that it was what they called a skinwalker. M was then allowed to use the man's phone to call for Trigger Happy, letting him know that she was fine and that they needed to go home without her. The situation was explained more thoroughly and eventually Trigger Happy did what M asked. M stayed at the medicine man's house for the night and the next night. During the time M stayed there, she said that she had been blessed by the Great Spirits to protect her in the future. She didn't go into more detail. After her time with the Medicine Man, he drove her to the nearest airport, 
bought her a ticket to the earliest flight to Michigan, then prayed over her one last time. And that's the story M told me. When I think about it, there is some rather interesting coincidences that happened in the story, like how Trigger Happy had an item so quickly to attack the Skinwalker with, how M coincidentally ran into a medicine man at the exact right time and place. Even so, all stories have a right to be shared, and every Skinwalker account has the ability to teach the world a little more about the creature's legend and mysteries. Contact with the Impundulu from Horror Guy 23 The Impundulu is a shape-shifting bird that is said to create lightning storms at random, and it is known to attack humans. As for me, I am a six-foot-two guy and have seen some of the world's oddest forms of life up to that point. I was actually in Africa to collect samples for a survey of the climate over there. I was in a bit of a jungle when, in the middle of my work, a thunderstorm was brewing up. This caught me off guard, since there were no reports of any thunderstorms in the area, and our instruments gave no indication of the sort. I didn't mind it, though. The jungles there can be quite humid and tend to have a lot of rain and thunderstorms due to that. I took cover under a tree, considering myself lucky that it didn't get struck by lightning and I didn't get electrocuted. During the middle of the thunderstorm, I glanced up at the sky and I see this bird, which is about the same size as me, which would have been extremely odd or nearly impossible out in this region of Africa. Once I locked eyes with its stone-cold pupils, I realized I made a huge mistake on my part. I should have avoided seeing me at all costs. This utterly massive bird then swooped in on me, barely missing me, but still giving me some good gashes on my shoulder. I fought back against this bird, but it being about the same size and weight class as a grown man, it was like trying to fend off a flying thug, one that outweighed me. It then let out an ear-piercing screech, swooping in for another attack. I duck in a panic, thinking that I'm about to die, but the bird only scrapes me on the back, which gives me the chance to escape while it circled back for another blow. By then, I'd already run out of there, finding cover in which to hide so that the bird could no longer attack me. Running from hiding place to hiding place until I made it back to my team's trailer, I was then driven to a hospital. Luckily, after some stitches, I was fine. If this wasn't the legendary Impendulu, then I have no earthly idea what it was at all. But to me, it makes sense. It came along with the thunderstorm. It was bigger than should be possible for a flying bird, and it nearly took my life. Well then, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Scary Stories and Shape-Shifting Monsters. Don't forget, I would love to narrate your story. If you have a scary experience, particularly one about the Yeti, Bigfoot, or monsters in the snow or winter, send it to me at darkstories.org. And if you want to help me out, 
Leave a like on this video, share it with your friends and family, and check the links in the description. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who have donated, or continue to donate. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. What could it have been? From Hanny23 I was around 11 or 13 at the time. I would always love to go into the woods to just have some fun with my cousins, but sometimes I would stay in my backyard. Sometime in the middle of June that year, something happened that would change the way that I saw those woods. I was attempting to stay the night in my treehouse. It must have been only a few hours until dawn at the time. The treehouse is located at the edge of the woods, and I was alone at the time, or so I thought. I climbed into the treehouse and looked out the window. It was then that I realized I was pretty thirsty, so I decided to go down and walk towards my house. Around that time, I got this feeling that someone or something was watching me. I ignored it, and thought it was at most some wild animal. I made it into my house and grabbed my bottle, which had some yoohoo in it, which was my favorite drink as a child. As I exited the house, I noticed that our old blonde lab had followed me. He was a good dog. I gave him a quick pet, then went on my way to the treehouse. As I entered the treehouse, I looked out the window, glancing back in the direction of my dog. I noticed that he was no longer watching me. He was instead staring into one particular part of the woods. I'd never seen my dog do that before. If there was something that piqued his interest, he would go check it out. I'd never seen him just stay still like that, as if he was scared. But then he began to make this low, deep growl. I called out to him. Rocky, what do you see, boy? He turned to look up at me, but only for a split second, then went right back to staring at that spot in the woods. It started to rain and thunder, but along with those sounds came another, a sort of humming that was coming from my right. Immediately, I felt scared, chilled to the bone. I looked out the window that was facing the direction of that sound. I saw it, something that horrified me, that didn't make sense. A creature that I'd never seen or heard of before. It was standing at the forest floor and was a little too close to the treehouse. It was big, skinny, brown. It was looking up at my treehouse with reddish-brown eyes. I thought to myself, do I run to the house? Or do I stay up here? I crouched beneath the window so that it could not see me, and I decided to stay until morning. 
The next day, I hurried down the treehouse and began to run as fast as I could out of the woods. After that incident, I didn't want to go into the woods ever again, because whatever that thing was could still be lurking out there, waiting for its next meal. They may look like people, but they're not. Humanoids, at least in the sense of the word as I'm using it here, are creatures that may be shaped like people, or even behave like us, but they are something far more disturbing. From encounters with Bigfoot to terrifying unexplained monsters, these are allegedly real sightings of humanoid creatures in the forest. If you have a scary experience, Share it with us at darkstories.org. I'd love to hear encounters that took place in the snow. If you enjoy this show and want to support it, like this video and share it with friends and family. Also, do you believe in Bigfoot? Comment your answer below, and maybe even link us to some evidence that helps you make up your mind. Now, let's begin. The Whistler from Spider-Milk. My family moved out to Texas almost five years ago, and for most of that time we've lived in a spacious suburban house that we now own. I live with my mom, younger sister, her dog, and my two cats. This all started the summer of 2016, when the mobile game Pokemon Go was reaching the height of its hype and popularity. Despite my extreme dislike of hot weather, I wanted to hop on that bandwagon, so I'd venture out into the neighborhood while using the app in search of virtual Pokemon to catch. While out one hot, humid afternoon, I ran into another kid, who turned out to be playing the same game. We exchanged greetings and chatted for a while at the local park. I'll refer to him as Brandon. Brandon was down-to-earth, upbeat, and sweet. He clearly wasn't afraid to gush about what games he liked to an otherwise total stranger, but I didn't mind. His attitude put me at ease. We eventually parted ways, but I met him several other times during the summer. It was a Saturday when things in the neighborhood began to get weird. In Texas, the cicadas or cicadas get really loud at certain times of the year, they sound like millions of dead leaves rattling in the breeze, droning on for hours on end. And it's a good thing that I tended to tune it out, or else it would have bothered me much more. Anyway, that weekend, I hadn't been out playing on the app for a few days. I was eager to meet back up with Brandon, and the occasional other kid that I'd run into now and again. I was out walking for probably a little over an hour, before I finally found Brandon jumping down the three steps from what must have been his house. He saw me straight away, waved, and jogged over. We hung out and played the game for a while, 
but the sun was beginning to get low in the sky, so I was getting ready to tell him I had to head back home soon. Although I knew the neighborhood fairly well, my mother wouldn't be happy if I came back after dark. But I didn't get the chance to bring it up before both of us stopped in our tracks, facing the end of a road where it opened up into a small field. A private property. A shrill noise had just come from somewhere in the distance. Now, I'm not a superstitious person at all. I enjoy a good scary story now and then like everyone else. But I didn't actually fear anything magical or supernatural. I'm a logical person. Brandon, on the other hand, was clearly on edge. The sound had been short, but the way it had cut through the dull, distant noise of traffic, that was certainly strange. You good? I piped up after a minute, nudging the kid, and he nodded quickly. Psh, I'm fine. It just reminded me of what my baby brother used to say. His little brother was named Tim. I tilted my head. What did he used to say? Brandon shrugged, acting just a little too overly nonchalant about it. It's dumb, never mind. But of course, I continued to pester him until he finally hung his head, giving a dramatic sigh. <sighs> okay, okay. Well, Tim used to have bad dreams because of something he heard from the kids next door. They were just saying it to mess with him. After I didn't respond, staring at my friend in anticipation, he rolled his eyes. My god, fine. Tim said they told him about these rules. Two of them, and they're only for this neighborhood. I snorted. What rules? Like, homeowners association? Keeping your lawns tidy? Brandon shook his head. No, more like, uh... Well, creepy rules. And it's more for the tracks than the actual neighborhood. To clarify, the tracks are the old abandoned train tracks that run next to the neighborhood, going right past the cul-de-sac we were currently standing in. I had walked it many times before, even crossing the bridge over the river below and exploring the surrounding dirt paths, which people frequented often to hang out and be stupid in. I had never feared that area, but that's just me. It was definitely horror movie material, don't get me wrong. A seemingly endless track in either direction surrounded by tall trees and covered in rust, sometimes graffiti. There had even used to be a train there, sitting motionless, but that had been removed at some point. For what reason and by whom, I have no idea. Brandon explained the two creepy rules to me. Rule number one, never whistle after sundown. Rule number two, don't look behind you. I laughed when he said that, and so did he, though he seemed more nervous about it. Getting serious, I reassured him that no whistling monster could possibly be out there, and that people were always looking for some legend to be scared of or something other to believe in. Brandon seemed to calm down at that, and I had to head home, since the sun was about to set. As I mentioned, I come to the tracks often to explore and to be in nature, so I headed there around noon one day, sometime in July. I was already overheated, 
but I was determined to find this one Pokemon I was looking to get. Like so many times before, I was met with the hum of cicadas as I gradually left the asphalt of the neighborhood for the bumpy terrain of the tracks. I walked for roughly half an hour, skipping the bridge in favor of heading down one of the dirt paths by the river's edge. I sat near the water for a while, switching between Pokemon Go and my social media apps as time passed by. I wasn't aware how close to sunset it was until I spotted the time on my phone. Getting to my feet, I took a drink of water from my metal canteen, trying to conserve a last sip for the walk back. That's when I got a notification on my phone. Brandon had sent me a gift on my Pokemon app. I didn't open it just yet. I was actually reminded of those rules he had talked about. And despite my skepticism, I was curious, and definitely scatterbrained. I was curious enough to wonder what would happen if I broke those rules. You could probably guess I'd be the first to be ended in a horror film. So I texted my mom to let her know I was heading back, but since I was further out than usual, I'd be back a little after dark. She wasn't happy about it, but she sternly reminded me to manage my time better next time, so at least I'd avoided a real scolding. Having bought myself some time, I pulled up Snapchat on my phone, hitting record. Hey Brandon, I said, I'm about to myth-bust those kids' rules right now, I told the camera, and then proceeded to whistle a nursery rhyme. I think it was the Itsy Bitsy Spider. I waited in silence. After not a single scary thing occurred, as expected, I turned the camera toward myself and sarcastically raised an eyebrow before ending the video. I sent it to Brandon and started walking back to the neighborhood. Weirdly enough, the noise of cicadas had died down significantly, but I figured I just hadn't noticed it until now, having been previously distracted. So I didn't think much of it. Besides, even if it had been sudden, the worst things out here were deer, coyotes, and maybe even the occasional hobo so I wasn't really worried. Then, something like a crack came from behind me. I turned and looked. Guess that was two rolls down now. But there was nothing that I could see behind me. I do remember shivering, though. Even the most level-headed people can't shake paranoia sometimes. So I picked up the pace. The nursery rhyme I'd whistled earlier stuck on a rather annoying loop in my head as I clutched my water canteen, in case some crazed individual tried to attack me. And then, just as I rounded a bend and saw the streetlights of my neighborhood, there was another noise, something dry and hollow, sounding like the howling of wind, except this wasn't wind. This was more like a long, strained echo, changing its tune subtly in the middle, almost like a whistle. At that point, I was scared, but I didn't take off running, fearing I'd attract the attention of whatever had made the sound. This place felt taboo, like it belonged to someone or something else. Suddenly, 
I was quite sure that I wasn't supposed to be here. My hands were starting to shake. My anxiety was ramping up until it felt like it coiled itself into my guts, ready to explode with adrenaline at the slightest snap of a twig. However, there was no snap to speak of. No more sounds, no more whistling howls. But I could see movement ahead of me in the tree line to my left, between me and the streetlights. Trees, bushes being pushed just slightly, just enough to be visible. I don't know why, but I crouched down on the train tracks. Sudden movements for me seemed like a bad idea, no matter how much my body was screaming at me to bolt. At first, the shape that stepped out of the bushes looked very much like a bear, a shaggy, grayish-brown body. It was certainly long enough, maybe larger, although I wasn't sure there were any bears in Texas as far as I knew. Of course, it wasn't a bear at all, because, as it turned out, moving in the way that an ape or a man might move, but on all fours... My gaze fell on a thing that was the furthest possible entity from a bear. It was hairless, for one thing. It had an emaciated, pale body, with some animal hide stretched across its back, as if it were armor. Its head was covered by what appeared to be a deer's skull, but I could plainly see that a grisly, deformed face and bust were hiding right underneath. All bony and stretched out, milky-white eyes a stark contrast to the shadow the skull cast, and the only feature of its real face I could make out. The thing rose up, the grimy pelt of the skinned animal dragging in the dirt as it did, head twitching as it looked around. By some miracle, it didn't seem to see me at all, so I didn't move. I wanted very much to cry, to be anywhere but here, but I didn't move an inch. Not until the creature fell back onto all fours, skinny limbs splayed out like a spider's. It was then that it raised its head, and I could see its actual jaw moving as it opened its real mouth under the skull. It was awful, the sound that it made, especially up close. I knew it had been what it called out earlier, but... Up close, I could hear the snarl underneath the otherwise soothing, eerie howl. This creature, it was a predator, and it had nearly found me, like a bat finding a moth, by a sick, dangerous game of Marco Polo. Eventually, the thing crawled back into the brush, but I didn't dare move until I saw it scale a large tree and jump out of sight. I crouched the whole way until the streetlights and sprinted back home from there. Needless to say, I haven't been back there alone since. I never told Brandon about it, but as he didn't open my teasing message, I assume he got rid of the app I'd sent it on long ago. So that didn't matter much. Here's a tip, kids. Rules are there for a reason. Don't break them. And for God's sake, do not whistle... After Sundown Bigfoot in Gaston, Oregon From Ryan It was around eight or so in the evening when I had my encounter. It happened a long time ago, 
I was eight years old and had recently gone into foster care. I remember this sighting as if it happened yesterday. I was over at a family friend's house for dinner. They live out in Gaston, Oregon, and have a hazelnut orchard. The trees in the orchard are about ten to fifteen feet tall. They had two boys that my brother and I were having a Nerf gun war with, because of how big the grounds were. My brother and I were standing by the back end of the house. My brother noticed something down in the orchard. Ryan, he said, a bit freaked out. Look. I followed his gaze and saw what he was staring at. There was a tall figure walking in between the trees. It stood close to the top of them. That's just how colossal it was. I would guess it was about ten feet tall, maybe just a bit shorter. We stood there, but I began to panic. It's Bigfoot, I shouted to my brother, who was trying to keep his cool. Be quiet, he said. The Bigfoot paused for a moment before continuing on its way. It was probably going back up into the hills to hunt before returning to the valley the next day. It was a quick but creepy encounter of mine. I've been criticized over my sighting, but I've had people fully believe my story as well. So, if you're ever in Gaston, Oregon, be on the lookout for... A Bigfoot. It Hunts Me From Raul Brett 260 I'm 17 years old and live in Romania. I live with my grandparents because they're sick and need someone to take care of them. The story begins last year in October, the first day I moved out here. My grandmother helped me unpack my stuff, and she began to tell me the rules of the house. She explained to me that I needed to feed the animals, to help her around the house, and things like that. But one of these rules caught my attention. She told me to never, under any circumstances, leave open the back porch at night. I thought it was strange, but I shrugged it off as just another inoffensive rule. Days went by, the farm life got to me, and I began to like it. One night, I finished up my chores around the house. I went down to smoke a cigarette. It was pitch black at the time. I went closer to the back porch because my grandparents didn't know that I smoked. A few minutes passed, and I was beginning to get cold. Out of nowhere, I began to smell sulfur and iron, like something was decaying nearby. The smell grew stronger and stronger. I knew something was wrong, but the curiosity got the best of me, and I wanted to see what was going on. All of a sudden, something crashed into the fence to my right. When I turned around, my blood ran cold. There, over the fence, I saw the silhouette of a head. But the two things that made me froze were that the head appeared to have horns, and that fence was seven feet tall. This thing was at least a foot and a half taller than that. The next thing I knew, I was running like a bat out of heck. When I made it back inside... I was pale as a ghost. 
When my grandmother saw me, she knew right away what had happened. She sat next to me and began to tell me that that thing has been haunting the farm for years, and that was the reason that she told me the rule about the porch, because that thing would only enter if it was left open. She told me that that was the thing that was behind my grandfather's death. My grandfather was found dead at the edge of the farm, and everyone blamed the population of wolves around the area. Well, everyone except my grandmother. She told me that one night my grandfather was working around the house. He forgot the back porch and left the door open. Around 11 p.m. that night, Grandmother heard him scream. The only thing that she saw was a tall and skinny figure running away, all the while dragging my grandfather by the head. She wanted to tell that to someone, but everyone thought that she was crazy, old or senile. But I've seen it now. I believe her. I've seen it since then, and every time I look at it, it shakes me to my very core. But in a different way, I think I'm getting used to it. Crack Snap Run from Lucky Runner This was no normal camping trip. I knew that as soon as we got to the site. Me and my two sisters decided to go on a camping trip in Manitoba, Canada. I'm the middle sister, and the most outgoing, but not foolishly so. When we got to the small campsite, we noticed how the only people there was a family who was already leaving. It was the beginning of the weekend. The family even told us that it wasn't a good idea to stay there, Apparently, a series of strange sounds and noises had scared them away. But they didn't really specify what it sounded like before driving away in their van. We were a bit put off by this, but stubbornly set up camp, determined to have a good time together. We went on a walk together down one of the trails, and I decided to climb a tree, much to my younger and elder sister's chagrin at being afraid of heights, and not following my silly idea of having fun in the forest. But while I was up there, I heard large noises far off down the path. My sisters heard this as well. The noise we presumed could be a bear or moose, or another dangerous animal. I'd climbed very high up in the tree when I was trying to show off, with them being nervous about the large rustling sounds and the grunts in the distance. They were calling for me to come down quickly. I told them to book it back to camp, as my descent was a little slow on account of me trying to be safe. I told them I'd wait for whatever animal was to pass. Then I would follow my way back to camp. I'd like to point out that it was nearly twilight. That's when the animals out here move around, going back to where they want to sleep, or the night creatures beginning to stir. They agreed after complaints from my older sister. You know the basic, you're an idiot, and you better not fall, before they steadily jogged away. I went down a little farther, then sat still, when the noise was almost near me. 
Through the tree leaves, I saw something that changed my perspective on life. A massive wolf that looked stretched and skeletal. It was on the path, sniffing. My head hurt with how hard it was pumping when that thing sniffed right up to the tree I was in. I didn't dare move. It looked around, then up. Bright yellow eyes stared at me. Then the creature stood up on two legs, like a person. A scream was caught in my throat, and I tried to climb up higher, again, to get as much distance between me and that thing. I tore off branches and chucked them down at the base of the tree, hoping to drive it away. I heard a grunt, and it stepped back from the tree, then spoke in a voice so similar to my sister's, yet not. You're an idiot. You better not fall. The words were more drawn out than how my sister had said it, almost like it was trying to get the right pronunciation by speaking so slow. That redoubled my terror, and I chucked more and more of this tree down at the thing. It paced around the tree, staring at me. Then I thought it decided I wasn't worth the effort, and walked off into the dim forest. After a few minutes, I descended once again, and once I reached the bottom, I looked around before making a final jump to the mossy forest floor. As soon as I landed, I heard a crack from up a tree beside the one I was in. I looked up, and the thing was up there, looking down with a predatory gaze. I mouthed the word, How? because I had no idea how it could have gotten up there so silently, without me hearing. It snapped a branch and appeared to be preparing to jump, and my brain screamed to run. I was a long-distance runner in high school, winning a lot of races, and I go on nightly runs every week. But when I say record time, I will always think of this moment, as I bolted down the path, dodging trees and jumping rocks, I could hear the breath of the thing as it raced along beside me. And I know it was a race for my life. After ten minutes, I broke from the trees into the campground, covered in tens of scratches from my panic in the trees and the desperate run through the woods. I saw my sisters laughing beside the tent, playing that game where you put your hand behind your back and you have to touch the other person. I beelined for them, screaming for them to jump into the car. They saw the blood running down my arms and legs, and when they saw their brave little sister bleeding and running at them, screaming to get in the car, they did not hesitate. They were inside, yelling to know what happened. My older sister was in the front seat the younger one waiting with the door open for me to jump in. But the questions died out when they saw what was following me. I've never seen such fear in their eyes. I jumped into the car, and my older sister slammed on the gas. She peeled off down the dirt road trail, leaving all our camp equipment behind. It was getting dark now, and my sister weaved down the trail in our crappy silver car like a pro, Honestly, I was surprised how calm she was. 
We hit the main road, and she sped all the way to a gas station. She pulled into the parking lot, and they immediately grilled me, so I told them everything. We don't really keep stuff from each other. We've always been straight-up honest, even when it was hurtful, sad, or in this case, terribly horrifying. It felt like they may not have believed me completely, concerning the part where it talked in my sister's voice. It clearly disturbed her when I told her about it. We were confused on if we should call someone like the police. What do you even do in this sort of situation? My younger sister was trying to stop the bleeding from the cuts on my arms and legs, and my face. I had an especially bad cut on my eyebrow, that only bled more after my adrenaline left me. We were still in the woods, even if we were at a gas station. The place was located off a minor backwoods highway, and we decided a $200 Walmart tent and some sleeping bags were not worth our lives to go back for. We luckily didn't put our bags with our cell phones and cameras and the expensive stuff into the tents yet, so those were fine, and we do like to make sure our clothes and things are safe and stay dry if it ever rains while camping. My older sister, being logical, decided to call the cops to make a report that there was a dangerous animal that drove us from the campsite. The authorities met us at the gas station after a couple of hours. We made our statements. We thought it was a bear. This is what we said so that we didn't appear crazy. The cops went back to collect our things for us, but they came back with nothing. Just a few pieces of shredded fabric. They closed off the campsite and the forest rangers were called in, but they never found a bear. It's been four years now, and we talk about it to our families. We still haven't gone back to that campsite. To whatever wolf-like creature, thing that was out there, I never want to see you again, nor those menacingly yellow eyes. But you're not going to stop us from camping, even if we have to go somewhere else. The Night Watcher From James Y. This happened to me maybe twenty years back. I was just out of high school and was visiting my grandparents, who lived on a farm in southeastern Oklahoma, close to the Washita National Forest. The farm was always a peaceful place to visit. You could just sit on the porch, swing out front, and it seemed like all your troubles from home had melted away. Lots of cousins lived nearby, and they would always come over. We'd have huge country breakfasts, then some would break out their guitars and start singing. Truly felt like a magical place. Well, until the sun went down. Growing up, if I ever went outside at my grandparents' farm at night, I always got this creepy feeling. A feeling like something was watching me from the nearby woods. I would often have nightmares of something coming out of those woods to get me. Many nights sleeping in the living room on the height of bed, noises in the night would stir my imagination, as if something was walking around on the front porch. Little did I know that, one day, something would indeed come out of that forest and make its presence known. One late day in my late teens, early twenties, I was lying on the bed, 
listening to music in the back bedroom, which we referred to as the back porch. A room was later added onto the house which was big enough for two full-sized beds. It was then that I heard a scream or howl, something ungodly and otherworldly, coming from outside. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard before. I can't even describe how scary it sounded. It was loud, and it echoed through the hills. Whatever it was just kept screaming. It was close, possibly even in the backyard. I jumped up and ran into the living room. My mom and everyone else was busy chatting and making supper. To give you an idea of my mom, and pretty much everyone else for that matter, if you were to bust in and say you heard a strange noise outside, they would just say, hmm, and go back to what they were doing. If you said, I saw something strange in the sky, or I saw some weird creature in the forest, they'd say, hmm, and go back to what they were doing. So knowing this about my family, I rolled my eyes, and I decided to investigate for myself. I walked out the back door with nothing but a camera. Okay, okay, I was young and stupid, but I was on a mission, and I was convinced that whatever was making this sound, it was something that probably hasn't been seen very many times by man. I thought if I could get a glimpse of it, a picture of it, I could report it somewhere as a little bit of proof of strange creatures that lurk in the woods. Whatever it was, it was moving away from me. The screaming continued, and I followed it through the backyard, through the nearby pasture, and then into the woods. Deeper and deeper I followed this thing into the woods, each moment becoming more and more perplexed as to what that thing could be. What an idiot, I thought. This thing could be a mountain lion, a panther, who the heck knows what. I could get mauled out here. But at least I could take a picture of whatever that was that was about to kill me, I guess. But was the thing running from me? Was it luring me deeper into the forest? And then I realized that the sun was going down. Great, I thought. It's going to get dark in a bit, and I'm stuck out in the middle of the woods with this... thing. So I turned around and headed for home, always hearing that screaming in the distance behind me. And by the time I made it back to the edge of the forest, and made it into open pasture, it was pretty dark, and I didn't even have a flashlight to light my way. Luckily, I made it safely back to the house. Maybe a night or two later, I was staying a couple of nights with my cousin Billy, who lived just up the hill from my grandparents. I don't remember how this started, but Billy decided, and here comes me being stupid number two, that in the middle of the night we would wake up, walk out the back door, down the hill, through the pasture, and go for a dip in one of my grandfather's ponds. Never mind that there were water moccasins and copperheads, but... Whatever. And for maybe three or four nights in a row, we did this. Wake up in the middle of the night, go to the back door, walk down the hill, walk through the pasture, go for a dip, 
then get out, walk back through the pasture up the hill again, then go back to sleep. On about the fifth night, Billy said, Don't wake me up tonight. Just let me sleep. You can go swimming if you want, but I don't want to go tonight. All right, I said. So that night, I just went alone, in the dark, down to the pond. Oh, lordy, it wasn't long before I got creeped out and just got out of the pond. I was making my way back across the open pasture when I caught something out of the corner of my eye. There was someone else with me in that pasture. It was very dark, so I couldn't get a good look at it. But it was tall and thin, and it stood on two legs. I immediately froze in fear. What was it? There wouldn't be any reason for a person to be out in this pasture at this hour. Okay, well, anyone other than me. I figured this was it. Everyone's going to find my dead body out in this field in the morning. I don't want to go out like this. I managed to squat down onto my haunches, trying to get a better look at the thing. The moon was in the background, so I was hoping I could use it to shed more light on what this could possibly be. The thing just stood there. It didn't move, and I was too afraid to move myself. I managed to stand up again. I really couldn't see it very well. All I knew was that I had to get out of there. Finally, I found enough courage where I could slowly start moving away, beginning to head back to the road leading up the hill. After a ways, I quickened my pace, and I made it back up, steadily climbing, terrified that whatever this thing was, it would be following me, and any minute it would grab me from behind, and it all would be over. I prayed under my breath, please don't let it get me. Back at my cousin's house, I ran inside and locked the door behind me. I got dressed and went back to bed. Billy was still asleep there. But I didn't sleep the rest of the night. The following day, I told Billy about what I'd seen the night before. We went down the hill to the pond and retraced my steps through the pasture. There were absolutely no trees and no posts of any kind within that pasture that I would have mistaked for a creature of some kind. It was literally an open field, with nothing much higher than a blade of grass. So what was it that I saw that night? Maybe a night or two later, I was back sleeping on the back porch at my grandparents' house. I was sleeping in the bed with windows above my head and to my right. My cousin Sarah slept in the other bed to my left. I was awakened in the middle of the night by something tapping or knocking on the window above my head. Instantly, the fear returned. There were no lights in the backyard. It was completely pitch black, so there would be no reason for anyone to be out there tapping on my window. I didn't see any light from a flashlight, either. If it was a person... To what end would they be tapping on the window? And at this hour? Even more so, how did this thing know my exact location within the house? I could have been sleeping in any number of beds in the house. But no. There it was, tapping on the window above my head. The fear that I felt is uncontrollable. You can't move, you can't speak, you can't breathe. 
I prayed again that it would go away, but it continued to tap, and the fear rose even higher. I heard it walk on two legs around the side of the house, pacing as if wondering what to do. It came back to the same window and tapped again. My heart was about to beat out of my chest. If anyone could die of fear alone, I felt pretty close to it. I literally could not move to get help or scream out. I dared not look out the blinds. Then again, it may have been too dark to see anything. What seemed like an eternity passed before it finally left. But I stayed awake the entire night, too afraid to sleep. Only when I saw the sunlight creeping in was I able to close my eyes. I told everyone about it the next morning. No one really gave it much thought, though. My cousin Billy came down, and we went to the backyard by the window it had been knocking at. I wanted to see how tall it would have been to reach the window. I was freaked out, and no one really listened to me, except for my cousin Roger. He was twenty years older than me. He said that when he was a kid... Roger and another cousin of mine were sleeping on the back porch when they were awakened by something tapping on the window, which freaked them out so bad that they still remembered it. This mirrored my story. What is this thing that's been around the property for at least the past fifty years now, and what does it want? I didn't spend too many more nights there on the farm. My grandparents soon were moved to a nursing home and passed away thereafter. And under strange circumstances, the house was demolished in a fire. I tried to share my story with the BFRO, or Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, but they didn't publish my story or return my call or email. I guess they thought it was too unbelievable. But was it really a Bigfoot? It was far too thin compared to reports I've heard and it didn't sound anything like the recordings I've heard. Was it some sort of creature like the rake? A wendigo, perhaps? I'm starting to think this could have been what I experienced. All I know is that these instances happened, and it scared the heck out of me. I don't care who does or doesn't believe me. I just know what I experienced. There's something in those woods, and maybe it didn't want us there. Or maybe it was just curious. But apparently, it's been there a long time. I believe somewhere deep within those woods in southeastern Oklahoma, it's still there. A year ago, I went on a camping trip with my dad in late July. It was a weekend trip. We apparently were the only ones at that Indiana campground. One night in my tent, I woke up with a start. I checked the time on my phone, which read 3.30 a.m. I should have been asleep still, but my bladder was screaming. I was hesitant at first to get out of the tent, but I would not be able to go to sleep without this business getting done. I climbed out of the tent and stumbled around in the dark. The sounds of the forest around me at any other time would have comforted me, but on that particular night, those sounds were unnerving. About fifty yards away and up a hill, there was a porta potty 
and being a girl, I can't just pee in the woods, and if I have the option, I'd rather avoid it. I had grabbed a headlamp my mom had loaned me. I clicked it on, and I began to make my way to the porta potty. To try to calm my nerves along the way, I was talking to myself, mostly complaining about my bladder and how dim the headlamp was. The light was so faint that it only illuminated about five feet in front of me. All I could really rely on was the light of the moon. I soon made it to the porta potty without incident, and I relieved myself. Once I was done, I began to make my way back to the tent. But once I was halfway there, it struck me. On the way there, the forest was loud and eerie. But now the forest was quiet and even more eerie than before. With that silence disturbing me, my mind began to imagine the horrors of the forest that might be lurking around me. Monsters of folklore, boogeymen, psychos, anything could have been waiting for me just out of range, to snatch me up and even eat me. Ugh, you know what your brain does when you're scared. It likes to make you being scared even worse. With the speed of an Olympic runner, I sprinted the last twenty yards back to camp. By then, the headlamp's light was fading. Upon arriving at the camp and catching my breath, I soon had the strange sensation that someone was watching me. I turned toward the tree line that bordered the lake. I was not expecting so soon to be looking into another pair of eyes, large yellow golden eyes. Unfortunately for me, my tent is extremely close to the tree line, so whatever was watching me, it was less than 15 feet away. Frozen in fear, the only thing I could think to do was stare back at them, and that's when my headlamp's light went out. But the eyes of that creature, they glowed even brighter now, just from the dim moonlight. I like to think I'm a rational person. So I figured it was a coyote or a large stray dog, but every second that passed by, I was doubting that assumption. I took a few steps back and lost my balance, falling onto my butt. But the eyes got closer, and the moonlight shone brighter on the creature's body. It soon revealed a silhouette that in no way whatsoever matched the size of a coyote or dog. It was far larger and it appeared to be standing on two legs, as if mimicking a person. I had to guess, the creature stood about six feet, even though it was hunched over. It had the head of a dog, kind of like a husky or wolf dog. Now, I know most people when they talk about encountering dogmen, they mention a strong feeling of malevolence coming from the creature, but with my experience, Besides the feeling of terror I had, the eyes of the creature didn't seem to hold any sort of malice or intent to harm me. They looked curious, or maybe even confused. After engaging it in a staring contest, the creature lowered itself to all four legs, then slowly turned and walked into the forest, and, creepily enough, it made no sound as it did so. Was this a dogman? I know it wasn't a bear, but I'm at a loss as to what it really is. It left no tracks behind either, 
as if it was extremely light, or like it wasn't there at all. The thing is, the soil on those banks is muddy, so something should have been left behind. Something more than just me being terrified. The Little Black Dog by Witch Witch When I was around 10 years old, I had a horrific encounter that I have not been able to shake off. My family and I were on a flight over to Arizona. The flight over from Australia was long and tiring. When we finally landed, we collected our luggage and took a shuttle over to the campsite that we would be staying at. We arrived and set up our tents, but I demanded that I have a tent with my older sister. So she and I set up our tents and got ready for the night. After setting everything up and after a very long flight, everyone was quickly exhausted. Even so, we stayed up long enough to make some s'mores in front of the campfire with a local ranger who stopped by. Now this ranger had a black dog named Ziggy. As we were chatting, I could hardly keep my eyes open, so my mom thought it would be best if we all got some sleep. Before we went off the bed, I asked the ranger if he wouldn't mind if I had his dog sleep with us in our tent. He didn't mind, but he did ask me to return him the next morning. Everyone had fallen asleep, and I was awake with Ziggy lying at my feet. All of a sudden, Ziggy rose to attention, and he slowly began to creep toward the door. When I saw this, I could feel my heart pounding faster. I hadn't shut the tent properly last night, and it was unzipped at the bottom. Ziggy puts his head through to the outside, and I rush over to my sister and shake her awake. I point to the tent. My sister holds her finger to her mouth, making sure that I don't say a word. She slowly advances toward Ziggy when he jumps back whimpering quietly. My sister jumps forward and zips the tent shut, then grabs her phone and turns on the flashlight. That's when the scratching started. It was coming from just outside the tent. It started up the back and was just barely quiet. Then it seemed to advance getting louder and faster as it came closer to the zipper. Ziggy growled and backed into the corner. My sister and I shuffled back as well, just watching. I whispered to my sister, Shouldn't we call our mom? And she shook her head. But then, the most horrifying thing happened. Shouldn't we call our mom? Someone repeated exactly what I said. And the voice came right outside the tent entrance. They had imitated me the moment that I had said something, but the voice was distorted, as if its vocal cords had been fried. I had never been so scared before. I did not know what to do. It was like we were cornered in that tent. We had nowhere to go, well, except toward the thing that had just mimicked me. We waited for several minutes, Minutes that slowly dragged by. My sister then crawled over to the entrance and slowly unzipped the tent door. Then she looked outside. I came up next to her and poked an eye out through the small hole. We saw what we thought looked exactly like Ziggy, but after a moment, 
we saw that it just wasn't right. His back was sort of caved in, and the hind legs were longer, and the body was wet and soaked. Then the thing that looked like Ziggy leered at us, straight in the eye. I shut my eyes fast and encouraged my sister to do so as well, and then I said to her that maybe we should scream to try to scare it off. So the two of us together screamed as loud as we could, and so highly pitched that Ziggy began to bark. I opened one eye and saw that the thing was running away now. My mom came rushing out and saw both of us screaming and crying. We told her everything and could not get back to sleep after that. The next morning we saw the ranger and told him about our story. He told us that it sounded like a skinwalker. My mom, a bit irritated that he was trying to scare us, demanded that we leave early. So we did. We ended up staying at a cheap motel and then we flew back home shortly after. Nine years later, I've never been the same. Sleepwalking at the Girls' Camp by Pearl This took place when I was twelve. While my mom was still with my stepdad, he forced me and my siblings to attend a Christian church, which to this day I still despise. At that church, they had a group called Young Women. I'll call it YW for short. Also, it's important you know that at that age, I used to sleepwalk. So YW had an annual camping trip that I had to go to. The place had a nice restroom reserved for the camping trip, and the owners of the camping ground had a nice black lab who hung around the camp the entire time I was there. I don't know why, but he chose to bond with me of all people, and I'm glad he did. It was on the second night of our stay that I slept walk into the restrooms. Some of the girls had stayed up late and saw me walking around apparently, not knowing that I was sleepwalking, and had assumed that I got up to use the restroom. Not long after I entered, they saw an old man follow me inside. They said that he came right out of the woods and began to follow me, but before the man could actually make it inside the bathroom, that black lab spotted him and began to growl at him. The man, either fearing the dog or fearing that everyone would wake up from the dog growling, began to run away into the woods. The dog chased him and did not come back until the next morning. One of the girls ran into the bathroom to check on me and saw me lying on the floor, fast asleep. She gently woke me up and led me back to my tent. That group of girls was also brave and kind enough to guard my tent for the rest of the night. That very next morning, they would tell me this story, and as further evidence that the story was true, the black lab came back, and it had part of the guy's pants in his mouth, and he had a large scrape on his poor little head. If I had to guess, the dog had caught up to the guy and grabbed him by the pants, before being forced to let go after he was hit in the head. I had to explain my sleepwalking to the group, so they knew why I never reacted. We warned our camp counselors of the incident, and everyone else was on high alert for the rest of the trip. After hearing the story, 
The owners had the lab stay in my tent with me for the rest of the stay. So yeah, that's my close call experience with the guy who wanted to hurt me, and I didn't even know it because I was sleeping. The Skinwalker in Broad Creek by Flat French Fry This is a story about what I saw on my last camping trip with my friends from the Boy Scouts. Me and my friends at the time were going to the rifle range to finish up our rifle merit badge. We all had a good time, but I was the last one to finish up, so they ended up leaving me there until I was done, so that meant I had to walk back by myself. Our campsite was on the other side of the camp, and it's down a long gravel road. As I was walking through that gravel, I began to hear sounds in the forest right next to me. I simply thought it was another campsite, so I ignored it and continued on. But as I make it to the offshoot of this trail, to where the other camp should have been, I saw that their campsite was empty. Now I was beginning to get a little suspicious of these sounds in the forest. Sounds like footsteps and breathing. So I start to jog, nervous that something was following me. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I see it. Something with long, lanky limbs and eyes that reflected a dreadful yellow. I can see ribs pushing up from underneath its skin and bones that seemed angled and broken. I'm standing there in shock. I feel like I need to throw up. I see the form of the thing get closer and closer until I hear another sound, a smaller set of footsteps coming toward me. It's one of my friends coming to check on me since I was taking so long. He grabs me by the shoulder and we take off toward the camp. As I'm walking away, I look back and there that thing is walking right behind us, almost out of eyesight from the tree line. That's when I get a good look at its face, which is the most disturbing part of the story, because the face is a human face, but it looks more like a loose mask. As we get closer to our camp's campfire, the thing seems to grow disinterested and disappears into the trees. It was the strangest thing and the scariest thing that I've ever experienced. If I have anything to say, it would be don't go hiking alone in Broad Creek. The Hike I'll Never Forget by Dixon W. It was a hot and humid August day. My friend had come down here two days before on a Greyhound bus from Ohio. I live in Oklahoma, and it can get pretty miserable here. But that morning when we woke up, I told my friend that we were going to go hiking in the woods. I'd been hyping it up for the past two days. We were both excited. I knew that he wanted to go hiking as much as I did. So after breakfast, this friend, Coda, and I drove about three miles from my town. The forest we went to was nothing but trees and fields, not even any trails or camping areas. This place was basically civilization-free. As we began our hike, I noticed how quiet it was. 
I took a moment to appreciate it, until I realized that even the birds were gone. I should have taken that as a warning, but I didn't even think much more about it. Besides remembering that there was a wildfire a week back, and maybe that had something to do with it. Anyway, for this trip I did not even bring a map, since I'd been out here about a million times by now. It was going to be a two-day hike, because I didn't know how much Coda would be able to take. For the first couple of hours, Coda kept asking me if I felt like I was being watched, which in the middle of the forest is a really creepy question to ask. And to be honest, I did feel like that, but I did not want to spook him, so I lied and said no. By the time we got to the first campsite, we were trying to get things ready when things got weirder. As the sun set over the horizon, the air around us got colder, and the sensation of being watched grew worse. It was so cold that I could see my breath. Anyway, we got settled in and soon went to bed. In the middle of the night, I woke up and saw that Coda had been up for about ten minutes already. When I saw him just sitting up like that, it kind of startled me. I went to ask him what was wrong, but instead of letting me talk, he put a finger over my mouth and shushed me. It made me a little bit irritated, so I pushed his arm away. Then he said in a really low, quivering voice that there was something outside the tent. I laughed a bit, because all I heard at the moment were coyotes in the distance. I called him a coward and tried to go back to bed. But when I did, I felt the sensation of me being watched again. This time, it was nearly overwhelming. I sat up quickly, and my friend looked at me straight in the eyes and said, Do you believe me now? When the sun finally came up, it was really quiet again. I made us some breakfast, and then we got prepared to go hiking again. But after that night, I no longer felt safe out there. As my mind was racing, Coda suddenly came up to me and pushed me. I got up and looked at him, asking why the heck he did that. Coda looked at me with a serious look in his eyes, and he said, Why'd you call me a coward last night? You know I hate that. You didn't believe me either. I shook my head and picked up my backpack. I just took off and didn't care for leaving him behind. There was just too much tension between Coda being frustrated and the strange sensations we were feeling. At this point, I just wanted to get our hike over with and get back home. I was maybe 200 yards ahead of Coda when I heard something. It was a really raspy voice, and it sounded like it was all around me, calling my name. I stopped in my tracks, listening to it, trying to pinpoint exactly where it was coming from, but it seemed to have no specific origin. It was coming from everywhere at once. Then, it began to sound like Coda, and instead of freaking out at this obviously supernatural thing that was happening, I started to feel bad for leaving Coda behind. He hadn't gone out here as much as I had, so he could have gotten hurt if I left him there. I ran back to camp. When I got there, he was sitting down on the forest floor, just picking at twigs. He looked up, and he said that he was sorry for pushing me. I helped him up and apologized for calling him a coward. Then I asked him, 
Was it you that was calling my name a second ago? He looked at me with a raised eyebrow and asked me the same. We had both heard each other calling our names, but neither of us had actually done that. We were both creeped out. Together, we took off. We made quite a bit of progress, both of us now in an apparent hurry to get this over with. But we were getting tired. We started walking again, and that's when Coda started to get weird again. He stopped all of a sudden, and then he asked me, What was that? I looked at him, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Did you hear something? Coda got red in the face, instantly growing furious for some reason. Then he just blew up. What do you mean you don't know? You've been here right by me, and you've been on so many hikes here in these woods. How do you not know what that was? I was getting annoyed again. I told him that I wasn't sure, and that I didn't hear anything. I didn't know what he was talking about. We needed to keep going. He stared at me in confusion and anger. Then he stormed off. Where are you going? I asked. We can set up camp here. But he kept going, only looking back for a moment to say, Screw this. Screw you. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting away from whatever that was. I didn't want to leave him alone even though he was doing nothing but confusing me and scaring me now. So I followed him, even though it was night and we were both exhausted. We walked through the night until the sun was beginning to rise again. It must have been 7am by then, which was around the time we heard a blood-curdling scream. Like an animal being attacked and slowly slaughtered, I stopped, petrified at what I just heard. All of a sudden, Coda grabbed me and pushed me forward, almost tossing me to the ground. We both began running, and only seconds later, we stopped, because we both saw something up ahead. It almost looked like a person, but everything about it was just all wrong. It only had patches of hair in places, and the arms were suffering from some sort of bone disease because there was no way those arms were natural. We turned around and began to quietly walk back. But as we did, the thing was before us again, as if it had transmitted itself to a new location immediately. Now it was at the edge of the nearby tree line. We backed up slowly and just turned around, running in the other direction. As we ran, I kept seeing the thing out of the corner of my eye, it never really chased or pursued us, but every time I turned in a different direction, it was there. Maybe there were loads of this thing in the woods, or maybe there was one. I couldn't be sure. For another two hours, we kept up full speed, nearly doubling over or fainting. This was the furthest we had ever pushed our bodies. But soon, thank God, we made it back up the road and we found my truck. And only when we reached the road, when I turned to look back into the forest, I no longer saw that creature. It was like it popped out of existence the moment we exited the woods. This made me feel secure, but we were still way too close to danger. I didn't want to turn again and see it randomly pop up once more. I turned the truck on, and we drove away, 
the two of us remaining silent until we got home. That was certainly a hike I'll never forget. I still go back in those woods sometimes, but I've never had this happen to me again. Still, I bring a weapon with me, just in case I see that thing. I wonder, are those woods haunted? Is that thing the source of it? Was it that creature that was making Koda and I turn on one another? I never honestly thought I'd experience something as bad or worse than a horror film, but here I am telling this story. Consider this next story a bonus story. It's not really the same as the other camping stories in this episode, but it does feature two campers of sorts taking care of an elderly lady. It's disgusting and disturbing, and I thought you would definitely love to hear it. The Ants of Rot by Ikmik L. When I was six years old, my parents broke up and divorced. My dad moved a few miles away to a large apartment building. This story took place around three years after he moved in. I would go to visit him on Wednesdays and every other weekend. Every time I would visit, there would be a person camping outside of one of the apartment buildings. When I say camping, I mean that the person, sometimes a man and sometimes a woman, would be sitting in a fold-up chair with their phone plugged into a socket along the corridor. I later learned that they were caretakers of a very elderly lady who did not like them inside her house, so she made them set up camp outside. One day in December, right before Christmas break, we started noticing a slightly strange odor looming around that corridor. We didn't pay much mind to this, as we had packing to do for the trip. As I recall, on the evening that we arrived back home, we heard a large amount of commotion in the corridor. Out of interest, we went outside. There were police everywhere. We managed to ask one of the officers what was going on. Apparently, an old lady had passed away. She had not given the building a spare key to her apartment, so the officers had to break in. And these doors here were real deal fireproof two-inch-thick mechanisms with three locks. The amount of damage they had to give that poor door before it gave the slightest bit of entry was unbelievable. At this time, I felt bad for the old lady and soon forgot all about it. Around two months later, that nasty smell started to come back. My dad told me that somebody had probably gone on vacation but accidentally left their garbage this smell seemed to be the strongest next to the door across from us. It got to a point where it became hard to breathe. Somebody complained and the authorities were called. Inside the apartment, they found the remains of a young female in an advanced stage of decomposition with an infestation of ants and maggots living off of her. Apparently, she had popped when they were trying to transport her, launching maggots and ants everywhere. I later learned that she experienced a very slow and painful demise. She had constantly been eating a food that was actually poisoning her. She had passed away in her bedroom, which shared a wall with mine. Ever since then, until we moved, 
we suffered a small ant infestation. It scares me to this day that the ants that climbed on my bed were the same ones who climbed all over and feasted upon that woman. I don't know if it was a coincidence that those two people passed at the same time almost, on the same floor in the same building, and yet they had partially decomposed before anyone had found them. The Woman and the Baby by Isa This story took place in Brazil a long 15 years ago, but it still gives me chills to this day, even though it didn't happen to me. I have an uncle who works as a truck driver, delivering tires for a company. Between many crazy stories that happened to him between comings and goings, this one is the creepiest that he's ever told me. He said it was a Friday noon, and he only had a few tires to deliver in the city, and had just stopped at a gas station to have lunch, or at least eat something to get him through the long road ahead, at a convenience store. With the meal out of the way, he walked back to his truck, starting the engine and stepping on it, eager for the weekend. However, a few minutes after taking off, my uncle spots a lone woman walking on the street. He slowed down after seeing that she was carrying a baby in her arms. He said his heart begged him to give the woman a ride. He has always been a benevolent guy, always looking forward to help others. So this sudden urge to do well isn't unlike him at all. He waited until she passed by his truck to ask her if she would like a ride in a friendly tone. She glanced at him without a smile. She hesitated for a long moment. Then he spoke up and said where he was going, to the neighboring city. She nodded, still with a firm expression, then checked her baby under the large blanket, protecting him from the hot light of the sun before hopping into the back seat. My uncle said that the woman seemed to be in her late thirties and looked beaten up by life. He tried to make small talk, but she avoided conversation and eye contact at all costs, always looking back on the road and checking nervously on her baby, as if they were being followed or something like that. He just assumed that she was a victim of domestic abuse and was likely running away from a crappy husband. He felt terribly sorry for her. A couple of hours go by with little conversation. At this point, he had decided to leave her alone. She still looked impatient, holding the baby firmly in her arms. The sun was setting when my uncle got stuck in a traffic jam at a bridge that connected the two cities. In the three long hours on the road, my uncle had finally gotten her name which was Maria, and the name of her newborn baby girl, Helena, which my uncle assumed was a girl. Assuming was all he could do, because she kept the baby wrapped up in that blanket the entire time. Still stuck in the middle of uncountable cars and their impatient drivers, he felt uneasy when he realized that Helena never cried, not even once. That was unusual for a newborn, to say the very least. Maria asked if she could roll down the windows, saying that she needed some fresh air. He agreed, not thinking much of it. Between trying to keep bad thoughts out of his mind and driving slowly over the bridge, he looked back at Maria through the rearview mirror, 
seeing something that made his stomach turn. His heart began to race. The wind coming through the lowered windows had now uncovered the baby's face. He couldn't tell if it was indeed a girl or a boy, but the baby had a very pale face, and its eyes were shut. Not one bit of that baby was moving at all. Almost as if it was... Uh, he kept his eyes on the road, looking away from the woman, who now had covered the baby's face again, seemingly getting more nervous. She then asked, How long until we get there? My uncle looked at her one last time through the rearview mirror, putting on his best fake smile. A few minutes, he answered. But if you don't mind, Maria, I haven't had a proper meal all day, and it's getting dark. Would you mind if we make a quick stop at the nearest gas station? She hesitantly nodded, agreeing nervously, as usual. My uncle thought a plan through a few times in his head on the way to a nearby gas station. When they arrived, he pulled up and jumped out, asking Maria if she needed anything, even offering to pay for her dinner. She denied, deciding to stay behind in the truck before asking one more time if it was going to take him very long. She looked distressed. He politely said he would be right back, heading into the convenience store. He went into the bathroom and locked himself inside. Feeling unsettled, he wondered to himself, what if that woman was dangerous? What if that baby wasn't actually hers? But what if the woman actually needed his help, and he was just being paranoid? He wondered, while dialing for the police. He figured the safest thing would be reporting this to the authorities. He reported everything to the operator, only to find out that the description he provided of the woman in his truck matched a sought-after woman investigated by the police for many children's disappearances. Hearing this, his heart sank, and he promptly informed that she had a baby with her. The operator told him that the police were only a few minutes away and that he should stay on the line until they got there. Moments later, he heard sirens and let out a breath of relief. He began to step out of the bathroom and told the operator that he heard that the police were arriving. The cops opened the truck and got the woman and the baby out, pointing their weapons at her. A female officer rushed to get the baby in her arms, while my uncle watched everything from a safe distance in disbelief. He finished the call and looked at the woman getting arrested and dragged to a police car. Before the police could put her inside the vehicle, she looked over her shoulder directly at my uncle with rage in her eyes. He said he'll never forget that look. Dread overwhelmed him. Unfortunately, it gets worse. It turns out he was right about the woman. Her real name was not Maria and she was part of a baby-stealing operation, which took people's children and then would sell their insides. The darkest part was the fact that the baby that was with her was no longer alive. In fact, the moment Maria got in the truck with my uncle, her insides had already been harvested and sold, and this woman was in charge of getting rid of the baby's remains somewhere. My uncle never saw that woman again. 
Creepy Phil, submitted by Ad. I am a 27-year-old girl. This took place in 2010 when I was 20. I was a sophomore in college. I grew up in western New York and also went to school in the same city that I grew up in. At the time, I was starting a six-month internship for my degree program. This internship basically required us to track our walks around town, observe our surroundings, work on our communication skills. It wasn't particularly difficult, but it did have its challenges. At the time, my on-and-off-again college boyfriend, Bobby, and I broke up. Now, this internship required us to work a large group of people that rotated, so that we had to work with everyone in this program at least once. I'm usually a friendly person, so I'll chit-chat or make conversation with someone if they initiate me. This was only a few weeks into this program, and I was assigned to work with a bunch of guys that I really didn't know. None of them I recognized from other classes. In this program, it is generally a male-dominated field, so the ratio of men to women was at least five to one. My group got our gear ready, and we went on a walk. Almost immediately, one of the guys in the group approached me and began to talk to me. At this time, I realized how tall he was. I'm 5'6", so he was 6'6", six six easily. He was pleasant enough, and I was always taught to be polite. I engaged him in chit-chat, as it was going to be a long day, and it would help to pass the time. While we were talking, he happened to pull out his phone and mentioned Facebook, and how we have joined recently, and at one point he pulls up my profile picture and says, This is your number, right? I was taken aback. I'm very private about my cell phone and was not aware it was listed on my account. I reluctantly nodded, to which he replied, Okay, cool. I'm going to save your number so we can text later. We can compare our tracking logs. I didn't say anything because we had to do that anyway, but we were supposed to do it over email. A few days afterward, he texted me for our tracking logs, and once that was done, he continued to talk to me. He asked if I wanted to hang out with him. He was nice, but he was somewhat awkward, and I was not fully comfortable around him just yet. He then continued to text me, asking me about myself and if I was dating anyone. Normally, I wouldn't give out that information, but my ex had recently broke up with me and I was feeling a bit burned from it. Having someone else pay attention to me was a bit flattering, even if it was somewhat awkward. After talking and texting each other for a few days, I had agreed to hang out with them to see if maybe there might be something there. In hindsight, I should have realized this was just a rebound. But at 20 years old with a broken heart, you tend to not think straight. We hung out around school a few times with a group of people, talking and getting to know each other. He was never rude, but made some awkward comments and compliments here and there that I nervously laughed off and accepted, because they were partly cheesy and I didn't want to be rude. I finally agreed to hang out with him at his house in the city. This would be the first time we really hung out with one another outside of school. I was nervous, anxious, and everything in between with my emotions. 
Once I got there, we started watching a movie and mentioned how my shift at work was this week. Since I got called in on one of my days off, he had said, Oh, sounds like your manager's a real jerk. I saw her yelling at you even when you were helping her out. Oh, this struck me as odd, since I don't remember telling him where I worked, and I never mentioned this particular incident to him before, because it was so recent. I didn't say anything about it, though. I think because of shock, but I just remember saying, uh, yeah, she really was. A week or so later, I'm working with my assistant manager, who I got along with really well. At the time, I worked for a woman's clothing store in a local mall that catered to middle-aged to older women. Technically, we weren't allowed to have our cell phones out, but the assistant manager I worked with was cool and let us hide ours at the register and we could text when it was slow. It was one of the first nice days outside for that season, so I had on nice capris, a tank top, and a cute sweater with my hair in a nice updo. Our store only had one entrance. You can see all the way to the back of the store from the front, and the back door that led to the storage room, emergency exit, and the lockers for our belongings. There are no windows, and the emergency door was locked and alarmed. The only thing across from us was a tiny hardware store, with a similar layout to ours. Suddenly, I get a text message from Phil. It said, Wow. You look really beautiful with that outfit. It really shows off your body. I read this text immediately, and I started to freak out. I began to look around quickly and saw no one there, no one in the hallway of the mall or the hardware store across the way except for the hardware store clerk. All I replied was, oh, Thanks. I continued to talk to my assistant manager but felt extremely uneasy. More messages came in from him. Wow, you really know how to strut your stuff walking around that store. And don't be afraid to walk on over to my house later, babe. I didn't answer these messages, but they continued to come in. I continued to look around, frantically now, as I still did not see anyone besides the store clerk across the way. Yet Phil continued to text me details about exactly what I was doing each second. My assistant manager noticed, and I explained to her the texts. We were closing the store, and she insisted I have security escort me to my car. I leave work that night, and once I get into my car, the security guard heads back inside, and I start to get my stuff organized and get ready to head home. My phone goes off again, and it's Phil. Really? Why did you have someone escort you to your car? Do you think I'm going to hurt you? Do you think I'm going to take you or something? Why don't you trust me? I quickly locked my car and looked around. There were a few other vehicles in the large parking lot, but I could not see if anyone was sitting in their vehicles. I quickly started my car, and I took off. I was officially freaked out. His awkward and cheesy compliments were one thing, but this was a whole different level. I saw Phil the next day at school, and I asked him if I could talk to him privately. As he acted like nothing happened, 
I told him I was not comfortable talking to him anymore. It became obvious that he did not like that. I lied, and I told him I think he's a great guy, but I was just not ready to get into something so soon. He then got this weird look on his face, shouted a quick, Fine, and accused me of leading him on, stating that I was using him just to get back at my ex. I left it at that, because I was already creeped out and didn't really care that he was so upset. I avoided him as much as I could in my internship, until it was completed, and by the end of the semester, I had successfully avoided him for a few weeks. During that time, I had recently got back together with my ex and were dating again. And that's when I started getting texts from Phil. So, this whole time you were just using me as a rebound. I could easily hurt your boyfriend. He's so small. It would be way too easy to get him. When he pulls into the driveway at his house, that's the perfect time. I was floored. He not only stalked me, but was now stalking and actively threatening my boyfriend. My boyfriend's house had a long, curvy driveway, with trees covering both sides of it, up until you get to his house, so he wasn't wrong. If he wanted to hurt my boyfriend, that would be the spot. I was done with this. I was officially scared for my life and my boyfriend's life. I blocked his number, his Facebook, his email and told my friends if he asked to contact me, not to give out any information. I decided to finish up my degree over the summer to avoid having to go in the fall and graduate early so I did not have to ever see him again. It's been almost seven years, and to this day, it still freaks me out that he followed me so closely everywhere, not only me, but my boyfriend too. I have this fear that I'll run into him again one day, that he's still following me around. I'm now married with a four-month-old son, and I'm still nervous thinking about it. Creepy Phil, please, let's not meet again. The Child Behind the Gravestone by Hussein I am a Muslim from Maldives. I was with a classmate with whom I used to hang out with. It was 2009, so I was about 16 years old. The previous year, I had just finished my school life. That's when this paranormal activity happened to me while this friend happened to be with me. One day he had called me and told me that his mother told him to get a plant to make a medicine, which is used for her body pain. It was almost 5.30 p.m. at the time, so we wanted to get finished as soon as possible. That way we could hang out before it got dark. The capital city of Maldives is Malé, where we don't see many trees, especially plants, which we use for this kind of purpose. So the only place we could find this stuff was at a nearby graveyard in the city. So we went to Asahara, main graveyard, to find it. At the time we got there, it was prayer time. It must have been 6.15 p.m. So first of all, we performed our salah. After performing it, we asked the person who was in charge of the security of that place whether they had that particular plant. He just told us to check for ourselves, 
so we started to explore around, looking for it. Luckily, we found an instance of it, but it was growing on top of one of the graves. It is said by our prophet that after the evening prayer, the jinn will become especially active. Even since our childhood, my mom always told me not to go out or take children out of the house at that time. We wanted to get this done, so we decided to just take it and go. The plant was not more than two feet high, so we knew that the root would not be deep down. I began to dig around the base of the plant while my friend was holding a bag to put it in. I was halfway down there, when out of tiredness I raised my head just to take a little break. That's when suddenly I saw a small child staring at me behind a gravestone, which was 15 or 20 feet away from us. I was immediately creeped out. This was no normal child. It was full black like a shadow, all except for its face, as I could clearly see his eyes staring at us. My friend saw it as well, because I turned to see him facing towards it. Out of fear, I put my hand right under the root of the plant, and I summoned every bit of my strength to, in one go, yank it out. Then I placed it in the bag which my friend was holding. After putting it in the bag, I looked at my friend and I told him we needed to hurry and leave this place. We headed towards home after that. We made it to his house at around 7.30 and I was still extremely creeped out. I told him I was going to go ahead and head home and that I would call him later. After getting home, I noticed that I had a fever which lasted more than three days. I didn't tell anyone about this story until a month after at least. I have faced other paranormal activity before, but this one incident I'll never forget. Ever since then, even now, I feel like someone is always around me, watching. The Floating Women by Loro Torres 11.30 one night, I was on my way home from work. At the time, I didn't have a house, so I would sleep in my truck parked in my friend's driveway. We lived on a steep hill in East LA, known as City Terrace. It was around 12.30 when I finally got to my truck. Being so tired, I quickly hopped inside and started taking off my work boots. As I was taking off my boots, I realized a big bright shadow was coming down the hill. I looked up and saw a peculiar sight. It was a group of women wearing all white. As I looked closer, I saw that they didn't have any legs and appeared to be floating down the hill. As soon as I saw it, chills flooded over me and I quickly grew afraid that she may have spotted me. I grabbed my phone and went to the camera to try and capture a picture of it. While I was grabbing my phone, these women had turned in my direction and they passed right next to my truck door. I struggled to try to take a picture. The spirits, I believe, kept on going along the way, literally going right through the nearby fence and into my friend's backyard. This was the first time I've ever experienced anything like it. I was telling my things I was just tired, that I was paranoid just seeing things. The next morning I woke up, and I told my friend about the experience. I even went over to the neighbors to talk about it, 
and I apparently wasn't the only one who saw the women. Two of the other neighbors had seen them, as one of the floating women the previous night had stopped to stare into their window. Ugh, that gives me even more chills. Evil Thing by Anonymous When I was a kid, we lived in a large city. I was around eight years old when this incident occurred. I was a tall girl for my age and had blonde curly hair. I was outside goofing around alone when I saw this tall, athletic, tanned, blonde young man with tiny running shorts. It was the 80s after all, and he was not wearing a shirt. This was normal to me as we were only a few blocks away from a popular beach. The man approached me, then asked me a question that I thought was absolutely idiotic. Could you tell me how to get to the beach? Uh, it's just right down there. Turn left and go straight down, I said. He didn't seem to understand my directions and began to chat with me. I thought he was a total moron. I could find the beach with my eyes closed. Now, there's a gap in my memory between this point and what happened later. I don't know how he managed to take me where he did, either. The next thing I remember is being in an underground apartment parking garage with him. He was still talking, making me feel uneasy, and then, in a dark and all-too-quiet corner, he began to take off his shorts, and there was no clothing underneath that. He smiled down at me. Everything in my head told me to run, and so I did. I ran like crazy all the way home and told my mother, and she called the police. They didn't find that pervert. My mom told me years later that they were going to beat the crap out of him if they found him, but they never did. It haunts me what could have happened to me, and maybe even other children, since that guy was probably on the loose for decades. The Creature from Lil Mama 85, location, West Virginia. My dad owns a cabin in northern West Virginia, a couple of counties over from Point Pleasant. Now, my husband and I had an experience a couple of years ago that scared us so badly that we have refused to go back to that place. My dad lets one of his buddies that lives in town grow Christmas trees on his property because it's farmland, but my dad doesn't farm the land himself. He just uses the cabin as a getaway and for hunting occasionally. When his buddy goes to harvest the trees, my dad goes up to help out and in return gets however many trees he needs. My stepmom is usually always by his side, but she had come down with a brutal type of flu and could not go this time. My dad then asked if my husband and I wanted to go on this trip and help out, but at first we refused. Then I got to thinking about it and feeling guilty because my dad isn't in the best of health anymore. When my 19-year-old brother passed away, it completely destroyed him, and he had a light heart attack. Ever since then, his heart has not been the best. Well, I talked it over with my husband, and he said it was up to me. I called my mom to see if she could keep our kids for the weekend, and she said yes. I called my dad and told him 
we would definitely be going to help him out. That night, I took the kids to my mom's place, packed and loaded our gear with my own pistol and trusty 22. That specific 22 was light and never failed me yet. The following morning, we met my dad and set out on our journey up north. Five hours of driving, we finally come to the dirt road turnoff, and I will admit my stomach sank and I began to sweat there. I could tell my husband, Neil, was feeling a bit spooked too, or rather intimidated. We soon arrive at the cabin, so we begin to unpack our things and change into warmer clothes, followed by some coveralls. I loaded my pistol and placed it inside its holster, then my rifle and slung it over my shoulder. This is pretty much normal procedure at the cabin when you're going into the woods. We've seen our share of dangerous wild animals out there, so it's better safe than sorry. We go outside and set out on the ATVs. The Christmas trees were on the other side of the property. When we get there, we notice my dad's buddy isn't there yet, so I ask if he had called him before we left the cabin, to which he hangs his head and sighs, no. I tell dad to go back and call him, and then we would wait there in case he did show up. Dad agreed and set out back toward the cabin, so Neil and I were left alone in the middle of the Christmas tree forest. I get off the ATV to stretch my legs, and Neil needs to use the bathroom, so he goes a little ways away to do that. As I'm sitting there, alone now, I notice that everything is much more quiet than it was, and now the wind has stopped. I get this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I was ready for anyone to come back. I dreaded being alone any longer. My heart was in my throat, and I was getting so nervous I was beginning to shake. It wasn't just from the cold. I yelled out for Neil and didn't hear anything back. I locked a bit of the ways in the direction he went and yelled for him again. Still, there was nothing. At this point, I knew something was not right. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw movement among the trees above me. I stopped and stood as still as I could. The silence afterward was abrasive. Then I heard the trees behind me move, and I turned to look and saw a tall, shadowy figure. It was moving beyond the pine trees. I was beyond terrified, and I was screaming Neil's name, but he still did not answer me. I ran back for the ATV. I got on, geared down to start it, and I reached for my key, but there was only air. There was no key in the starter anymore. Neil had probably taken it with him. I knew how to hotwire it, but my dad would be furious, not to mention my hands were shaking so badly that I probably wouldn't be able to. My heart was pounding like a wild drum, and I took a deep breath knowing I had two choices. One, I could go into the woods to look for Neil and risk coming into contact with whatever made that shadowy silhouette. Or two, I could set off on foot back toward the cabin to get my dad. My mind was racing, but my choice was soon made. I was going to walk back to the cabin where safety was certain. Then I would get my dad and we would come back to look for Neil. I lowered myself off of the ATV, and I took off on foot towards the way back to the cabin. 
It wasn't long before I heard something. Someone, help me. It was coming from the forest. Tears were streaming down my face, and I turned and began to run towards Neil's voice. I screamed at Neil to keep yelling so that I could find him. I was running, branches slapping against my face and body, but I didn't dare slow down. I could hear I was getting close because his voice was growing louder now. I kept running toward it. Then I found him. He was sitting against a tree, red fluid streaming down his face. I ran over to him and begged to know what happened. Neil said something big had hit him, and that was all he remembered, because he blacked out for a while. I was at a loss. I did not know what to do next, but I knew we could not stay in those woods any longer. I told Neil, I'm going to help you up, and we're going to get the heck out of here. Finally, after a few minutes of pulling and lifting, I got him to his feet. We started walking slowly back through the woods to the ATV, and then we heard it, something running through the trees. We looked at each other and tried to move faster. We kept going, still hearing that thing going right along beside us. We made it to the forest clearing, and we could see the ATV now. Neil said to lean him against one of the trees to go get the ATV. I did as he said, grabbing the key. But as I took the first step after turning back toward the ATV, key in hand, I saw something now in the middle of my path. Something seven feet tall and covered in hair. The creature looked down at me with hell-colored red ember eyes. I was so scared that I couldn't move at all. All I could do was stare. Then I noticed the creature had wings, black wings, that went all the way down to the ground. Neil screamed at me, and I awoke from my shock. I started to move around the creature and made a mad dash toward the ATV. I was nearly there when something grabbed me by my shoulder. I looked and saw three large talons gripping me. I was yanked backwards, landing hard against a huge pine tree. I'm sorry, but this is where things get hazy for me. When I came to some time later, I found myself lying at the bed of the cabin. I tried to move, but everything in my body hurt. My dad came into the room. He looked at me and told me not to move or I might hurt myself worse. I didn't need to be told twice. I looked at my dad and asked what had happened. He said as I was running toward the ATV, he and his friend were coming back when they saw something huge right behind me. Said it threw me backward, so he and his friend took aim and fired. He was silent after that and would not go into much detail about the creature as if he was also in disbelief at what we all had seen. I tried to get out of him what happened after that. Finally, he said to me, the creature looked at them, the color draining from their faces. He said that dang thing had fire in its eyes. He saw it spread its wings, scream, and then burst straight up into the air, disappearing into the sky. 
We don't know what the creature was, but I have a feeling it was the creature from our first night at the cabin all those years ago. Ever since this event, Dad has forbid us from going back there. Even his buddy with the pine trees said he wouldn't go back. As for Neil, he's fine and he's recovered. He's doing quite well, though the marks in my shoulder from that thing's claws seem to be healing slowly, a painful reminder of what we experienced in those woods. Mysterious Flying Creature From Jake, Location, Virginia This happened two years ago when I was 17. It was New Year's Eve, and we were all busy partying at our farmhouse. My cousin Joe suggested we go out into the woods to do some stargazing after the celebration. Joe and I had a lot of friends in common since we attended the same school, so we grabbed two of them to come with us. It was a cloudy night that night, a full moon as well. We went out into my uncle's old 1964 pickup. After a solid 15-minute ride, we made it to a clearing in the forest. We set up camp there, taking out the equipment we had brought. After spending about four hours enjoying the sky and the occasional stars between the clouds, we wrapped everything up and crawled into our tents. We had only pitched two tents to save us the trouble of cleaning up. At about five o'clock in the morning, I heard a loud, screeching sound coming from the tree line. I peered out of my nylon tent, hoping to catch a glimpse of whatever it was making that noise. What I saw next made me want to soil myself. There was this large, insect-like, humanoid thing. It had dark, unruly hair surrounding its body, and its two large, compound eyes were staring right towards us. I looked back, trying to wake up my cousin, but he was already wide awake. Then the two of us made a break for the other tent. My cousin's friends, however, were already in the truck waiting for us, utterly horrified. We quickly got in after them, and we hit the gas pedal, flooring the truck through the woods. We reached the farmhouse a short while later, but before we left the truck entirely, I happened to turn around, and I saw that same thing flying towards the woods. It had these thick, leathery wings, which seemed to be a cross between the wings of an insect and the wings of a bat. After returning home, I did some research on the thing, hoping to get some answers. It bore a terrible resemblance to the Mothman, a mysterious moth-like creature that is said to be the harbinger of destruction and doom. My uncle lives in Virginia, about 80 or so miles away from Point Pleasant, so I wouldn't be surprised that what we saw that day was the Mothman. Demon in the Woods From Matt Location, New Jersey The only other person who knows of this experience is my grandfather. My grandfather's a farmer that lives in New Jersey. It was about two years ago, and I had to visit him at his farm. He'd always been a kind old man, someone I've never seen scared. 
He had a small white farmhouse. You could always hear the cows there. During the day, I would help him around the farm. It happened one night while I was lying in bed. Have you ever had the feeling that something bad was about to happen? Even the cows outside, which were quite talkative almost all the time, were extremely quiet. I knew that something bad was going down. I got out of bed with a sick feeling in my stomach, and I walked over to the window. There is a single lamp on the outside of the house. With it, I could see the cows nearby. They seemed to be standing still and staring. At first, I was confused as to why. I looked around for a moment longer, then decided to go back to bed. But about an hour later, the spine-tingling scream forced both me and my grandfather awake. He grabbed his rifle, and we met up in the living room, staring out the window. Outside, we saw this strange and massive creature. It looked like a bat, a dog, and a horse all fused together. Its teeth were sinking into one of the cow's hides. My grandfather loaded his rifle, getting ready to fire at the thing through the window. The creature seemed to know that we were there. Maybe it heard my grandfather readying his weapon, because it immediately turned towards us, screamed that same sinister scream again, before giant bat-like wings propelled it into the air. It took it only moments to disappear into the night sky. I turned to my grandpa, panicking, and asked what in the world that was. He didn't answer for a moment. It wasn't until the next day that he told me the story of the Jersey Devil. I didn't believe him at first, but he was quite sincere about it, and it did match the description of that thing we saw outside. We've never seen that horrible creature again, and I'd give anything to keep it that way. Mothman or something else? From Garou. Location, New Jersey. This happened about a week before Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey. I was out with my mother, my two uncles, and my cousins. We were taking a little vacation in Ramapo Mountain State Forest. I was actually quite hyped for this trip. I was a big fan of the woods, having been raised on a farm near forests until I was ten years old after which I moved to New Jersey with my mother and sister. We didn't camp. One of my uncles who lived in California had moved here and lived near the forest, so we could stay with him. We stayed that night until 11 p.m. The adults were watching TV then, while me and my five cousins played with my uncle's PS4. Around midnight, when everyone was in bed, I had the dumbest idea, which I somewhat regret now. I wanted to go out and explore the forest. I mean, I wasn't looking for trouble, just for something to pass the time. Besides, I was experienced at dealing with foxes trying to eat the chickens during the night back at the farm, so I was confident in handling anything the wilderness had to offer. I grabbed my backpack filled with junk food and basic tools, such as a pocket knife, a flashlight, and other things. Before I set out quietly, I was found out, not by my uncle or mother though, but by my six-year-old cousin Axel. I told him to stay quiet and to not wrap me out, but instead he decided to go with me, something I didn't expect from him. 
So we took off, not too far from the house. I didn't want Axel to get scared and cry back to the house, which would give us away, so I tried to take it slow and safe. We found critters along the way, and we both caught some bugs which we put in a jar. It was a fun and calm experience, until we heard it. It was a loud bird cry, almost like an eagle's cry, something I've never heard before until now. It sent shivers down my spine. Axel was saying that we should go back. He was right, because something felt terribly wrong. The sound was very painful, like something was hurt. I had always been a stubborn kid with a dumb amount of courage, so I decided that I needed to see what was going on. I told Axel to stay there, to keep the flashlight on, and to yell my name the moment something happens, if it does. I set out not too far from where I told him to stay. I walked for a few minutes, confident that it was just a bird that I had heard, so I was still pretty calm. Suddenly, I stopped. I stood frozen for a moment as I watched a huge bird raise itself up in front of me. It looked like a giant owl about the size of a car. It was staring at me with these green eyes. One of its wings seemed injured, caught in a nearby branch. I had my hand on my pocket knife, ready to protect myself if I had to. Suddenly, the creature yanked its wing from the branch and let out another howl of pain. Louder now, of course. And right after that, it must have scared my cousin, because I heard Axel calling my name. In turn, I think this startled the creature before me, which was now flapping its massive wings, flying away and leaving me in a bit of a violent gust. My cousin came running up towards me about two minutes later. He screamed and cried. Are you okay? He asked, placing his hand on a deep cut I got on my chest. Apparently, that animal or creature had cut me when it took off or when it yanked its wing away from the branch. We both rushed home while we both cried, him of terror and me mostly of pain. Halfway on the path, I noticed two of my uncles and my mom were rushing out to us. They must have heard the sound of the scream from that owl thing, and they became worried when they realized that we were gone. They scolded the both of us while my mom was tending to my wound. Panicky, she asked me, What happened to you? Did a bear attack you or something? You had me so worried. Why would you go out in the middle of the night with that and take Axel with you? I told them what had happened, and everyone seemed to be in shock. Luckily for me, we belonged to a family that believed in the supernatural. However, my uncle, who owned the house, stood silent and simply said, Son, what you saw was a Nahual. That's a shape-shifting creature from our culture. We're of Mexican heritage. It supposedly transforms into animals and can be described mostly as a giant black dog. Whatever I saw that day was not normal. We all decided to go to bed that night, but the following day my family could not stop talking about it. As we returned home, I tried not to think about it. And a while later, when Hurricane Sandy hit... I remember looking out the window. It was nighttime, 
and I was staring at the trees where I lived, and I swear I saw it again, a silhouette of a giant bird. Maybe it was just me imagining things, but then again, I was certain it was the same owl that I had seen only a week ago. It wasn't an ordinary bird. From Zach. Location, Tennessee. Where I live, it's your typical countryside, abundant with fields, farms, woods, etc. But there's a lot more to my hometown than meets the eye. I wasn't always a believer in the paranormal or supernatural, but really, no one really is until they have their own experiences. My experiences started back two years ago, but it's what I encountered three weeks ago that really shook me to my core. It started when I was on the phone with my best friend. I was walking around outside, when out of nowhere, I heard a loud bird-like sound coming from just above me. It was so loud, it shook my bones, made me jump, and I nearly dropped my phone. The sound was otherworldly as well, nothing at all natural. I didn't recognize it. There's no normal animal in this world, especially a bird, that could make that kind of sound. Whatever it was must have been massive. I ran out into my yard, and I looked up toward the roof. There was nothing there. Fast forward to the next day. It was storming outside like crazy. The wind was blowing violently, making the entire house shake. Thunder roared across the sky, lightning frequently strobing across the clouds. It was absolutely pouring rain, so it was basically a complete monsoon. To be honest with you, I love this kind of weather, so I was outside in it for as long as I could, playing in mud, getting soaked. Well, while I was doing this, I heard that sound again, the bird-like sound, the one that seemed to shake the earth. But this time, I spotted what was making it. Up in the clouds, I saw a shadow, an absolutely gigantic silhouette. It appeared to be a kind of bird, but there was no bird in the books that was that big. Well, none that were alive anymore, anyway. Its wingspan must have been over 20 feet long. I heard that same bird call again one more time before disappearing behind the thunderclouds. A few days later, another big storm hit. It was just as bad as the last one. Constant rain, crazy thunder, lightning, all that jazz. And again, I was outside running around in it, specifically in the fields near our house. After a while, it began to get dark. It was still storming, of course, and it was getting late, so I thought it'd be best to head home. When I made it back to my backyard, I looked up toward my house, and there it was, perched on our roof. It was this tall, oval-like shaped thing. I didn't know what it was at first, until I saw it spread those huge wings. I heard it call that dreadful bird call again. Then it leapt from my roof and flew over me and over the fields. 
that was the last time I would see it. Now, mind you, I still hear that call sometimes. Specifically, I swear I hear it just before large thunderstorms. I know it's still out there, and I can't help but wonder when I'm going to see it again. The Hat Man from Abigail M. Location Unknown I'm the only girl in my house with two brothers and my dad. My mom passed away when I was three, so my dad is currently bringing up three teenagers by himself. My brother Max is 18, and Ryan is 16, and I'm 14 as of writing this. Even though I'm the youngest, I'm definitely quite protective. I don't know what I would do if my brothers were gone, even though sometimes I think they hate me, or think that I'm annoying but maybe that's just siblings being siblings. This happened on a school break one night. I could not sleep, and I had to do an exam the day I got back to school. It was around 1.30 a.m. when I heard a tapping noise coming from the wall that connects my bedroom to the stairs. The wall next to that one connects my bedroom to my brother's, so I assumed it was my brother's messing around with me. So I got out of bed and went into their bedroom but Max and Ryan were both fast asleep. I said, all right, who was that? But I was met only with silence. I decided it was just my mind playing tricks on me, and the house is pretty old after all. It possibly could have even been the house settling. I went back to my desk, and five minutes passed by, when I suddenly felt someone tap on my shoulder. Immediately, I felt chilled and turned around. There was no one in my room. I was now creeped out beyond belief, so guess what I did? I put on headphones, because deafening yourself when creepy things are going down is definitely a good idea. An hour later, I needed to go to the bathroom, so I took off my headphones and got up. I kid you not, the moment I stood up with my headphones off, I heard a familiar voice call out to me. It was a whisper, and memories began to flood back to me of a woman cradling her little girl. Tears began to pour down my face, but the figure in my memory became more disfigured. I tried to snap out of it, but the woman looked so familiar. She then spoke again, this time becoming more and more distorted with every word she spoke. Please don't leave. When I rubbed my eyes, Clearing the tears from my face, I opened them again and I saw her. She was sitting in my room in a chair that I did not have, but behind her stood a man that was more shadow than human, and his eyes glowed a sinister red. They pierced through me, making me feel paralyzed. Soon I felt a tight grip around my neck and pressure on my chest. A grin formed on his shadowy face, one that was hard to see and easy to feel. I noticed then that on his head, he was wearing a hat. It was pointed at the sides and had a flat top. I'd never been so scared and confused in my entire life. I screamed, and I was able to finally get up. I ran to my brother's room 
only to see them both still asleep. I exited the house, and I didn't feel safe anymore. I called my friend, who was luckily also awake. She's a bit of a night owl. She said that I could go to her house. When I got there, I told her what I experienced, and her usually bubbly expression turned to sour. She showed me an article online about shadow people, and she scrolled down to a subheading titled, The Hat Man. The description of this entity matched exactly what I saw. It's been two years since then, and I still have nightmares about seeing him again, choking me with his shadowy hands as he smiles and his red eyes pierce me. I'll never forget this story. The night I saw my mother again. The night I saw the man in the hat. A Cold and Creepy Night From The Radical Mongoose Location, The American Midwest I'm 32 years old, and I live in a very ghetto neighborhood that is super dark and creepy at night. For the last year, I've been seeing and feeling strange things when I'm outside after the sun has gone down. For the sake of brevity, I think these entities are shadow people. They tend to lurk at the far end of my backyard, near where my privacy fence is, and under these huge old twin shade trees that kind of frame the yard. Once in a while, at least one of them seems to get curious and comes closer to the house. And that's when weird crap goes down. Two nights ago, I was standing out of my driveway with my two-year-old blue chihuahua named Bella. She refuses to let me go outside without her. I was leaning against the car smoking, when all of a sudden, I became very aware that I was not alone. Not the way you become aware of, say, your neighbor coming outside, but more like someone was spying on me, even hunting me. Bella suddenly ran under the car and poked her head out, trembling in fear. Something was close, and we both felt it. Whatever it was, terrified my normally fearless little companion. It was then that I saw the shadow standing near my shed. I couldn't tell exactly, but it seemed to be facing me, probably staring at me. I snuffed out my smoke and just stared back, not wanting to give way to my fear, unless this thing decided I was prey. Then I slowly began to inch my way to the back door, Bella only coming out from under the car once I had opened the door. In the split second that I took my eyes off of it, it had closed the distance and now stood at the corner only a few feet away from me. But it refused to come any closer than that. Thank God, it seemed to be wary of stepping into the light Yet every fiber of my being knew that this figure wanted to pounce on me. I got inside and shut the door, locking it behind me. Then I did as I'd heard to do when dealing with troublesome spirits. I sprinkled some salt across the windows and doorways. Then I burned sage in the house. The next morning, when I opened the door, the screen had these long marks that looked like fingers on it. Puzzled, I got a closer look, and they looked like something heated the screen to glowing hot because the areas with the finger marks had left a permanent pale gray color. 
the kind that the screens take on after being heated up. I have no idea what the marks are, how they got there, or what exactly left them, but it skeeves me out. I'm beginning to think that my house needs a blessing. I think I met a shadow person. From Brendan. Location, Australia. I used to live in a small two-story unit. The bottom floor had what you would expect from an average home, a kitchen, living room, and a dining table. But it also had a very small cupboard or boiling room. I never really knew what that was. It was located right next to the stairs, which had about 10 steps leading up to the bedrooms. My bedroom was the first one that you could see if you approached the second floor. Anyway, the year was 2014. I was in the second semester of year 5, meaning that I was roughly about 11 years old. It was yet another school night, and my mom's boyfriend was there tonight as well. Around 9pm, I was told to go to bed by my mom, as her and her boyfriend were going to bed as well. I was a bit of a slacker back then, so I would of course stay up watching videos on YouTube. Cut to about 12am, and I'm tired but still keeping it together. All of a sudden, I'm startled when I hear banging on the downstairs door, but then I come to recognize which door it is. It's the door to the boiler room. Then the scariest thing happened. Large and quick stomps rushed up the stairs. Then the door to my bedroom slammed open. Something dark in the corner of my eye was staring at me, and I was too scared to move. I pause the video I'm watching to see if I can hear this thing standing there. But instead, I heard nothing. Silence, my ears ringing. Ten minutes go by, with me still looking at this thing from the corner of my eye. It's just standing there, staring, in the middle of my open doorway. My heart was going absolutely insane. When the door slammed shut, I jumped. It was followed by now quiet footsteps going slowly into the guest room, which would be empty. The next day, I asked my mom and her boyfriend if they checked on me last night, and to my horror, they said no. I should have known better, because if it was a person, they wouldn't just open the door, stand in the dark hall, and just stare at me for a solid ten minutes. All I can really call this entity that I saw is a shadow person, because that's literally what it was. A shadowy figure, humanoid in shape. Being in that kind of situation, you may think you'd do something different. But when the fear overwhelms you, and the nightmare comes at you unexpectedly, you'd probably be just as petrified as I was. My Shadow Person from Holly E.B. Location Unknown I was never someone who experienced the paranormal, until my dog took notice. I was in my room playing on my cell phone. The day couldn't be any more normal, which is what makes this so weird. The next time I looked up from my phone, I saw a shadowy human shape 
standing right in my doorway. I remember being startled and my heart racing. I looked at it and I had the sense that it was looking back at me. But I didn't get the sense that it was a bad thing, like it was going to hurt me. But it felt more like when you look up and see that your dog has been staring at you. I began to rub my eyes, thinking maybe I was looking at my phone too long. My dog, on the other hand, decided to let me know it wasn't just my eyes playing tricks on me, as he began to stare at the doorway himself and growl. Later that day, me and my dog were playing fetch in our yard, but I threw the ball and he ran right past me. I thought it was him just messing with me, until I turned around. The human-like shadow was standing there, and my dog had dropped the ball at its feet while staring at it and wagging his little tail. I was dumbfounded. I wasn't sure what to do, I just stood there staring at it again. The only thing that I could do otherwise was talk to it, so I did. Ah, uh, hello there, I said quietly. As soon as the words left my mouth, the thing seemed to dissipate, drifting away with the slight wind. To this day, I often see things out of the corner of my eyes, and I wonder if it will ever reveal itself to me like it did that day. The Shadow That Haunted Me From Cameron R. Location Unknown I was 11 or 12 years old. My family lived in a fairly decent neighborhood. There weren't many break-ins or robberies or any serious crimes around there. So I used to ride my bike down a trail near the house. It led to this old abandoned trailer. A lot of the older kids used to go there and break windows and spray paint. You know, those types of things. I guess I wanted to fit in, so I started going back there myself to help mess around. I would throw rocks at the walls in an attempt to break holes into it. I pretty much busted up most of the walls in the living room area, so I went farther into the trailer. I soon realized that for some reason... One wall in the bathroom was unusually hard to break in one big spot in the middle. I tried busting holes all around it, where the wall was soft. I finally got enough drywall busted out to be able to see what it was underneath. It was like there was a door there before, but it was now nailed off with two by four pieces of wood. It was like a secret room. I thought to myself, maybe the old owners were trying to hide something in there, or even trying to lock someone or something in. That thought in particular scared me so bad that I left for home, with no intention of seeing what was beyond that part of the wall. I grab my bike, hop on, and glance back behind me at the house, and even though it is daytime, I could have swore I saw what looked like a shadow of a person in the doorway. I was frozen, staring at the figure. After getting enough courage, I began to ride away as fast as possible. That night, I kept thinking of what happened at the abandoned trailer. What was that shadow? All of a sudden, my mother called me down for dinner, and she asked how my day was. I told her about the abandoned trailer in the woods. Her face went blank, and she looked pale as I was telling her about the boarded-up wall or door I found. She firmly told me to never go back there. 
After dinner, I ran up to my bedroom. A couple of hours go by and I realize it was almost 11 p.m. I decided to go to sleep for the night, hopefully forgetting about this event. When I was nearly asleep, I felt this presence of someone in my room. I quickly looked up into the doorway. There it was, full black, the same shadow of a person I saw. It was standing there, not moving at all. I was terrified. I pulled the blanket over my head and prayed that whatever that thing was, it would go away. Every couple of minutes I'd look up and I would still see it there. This went on until 4 a.m. and it wasn't the only night it would happen. For the next year, this would occasionally occur and I got so fed up that I decided to look into this trailer because I was certain that that was the root cause of this. What I did discover was quite disturbing. A boy named Isaiah used to live there with his mother, father, and younger sister, as well as a little brother named Brian. Isaiah had taken their lives, annihilating his whole family, except maybe for Brian, because the police could not find the six-year-old boy. They believed that Isaiah had taken him, either ending him somewhere else, or hiding him somewhere. It took nearly three weeks for the police to find Isaiah, who was already gone because of a self-inflicted wound to the head. I believe that the blocked-off part of the trailer is where Brian's body may be, and I think this shadow that I've been seeing might just be Isaiah. Maybe he doesn't want me to see what's inside. We've moved since then, and I haven't seen anything of the shadow person anymore, and I couldn't be happier. Shadow Persons From Tyler Location Unknown I think I'm being stalked by shadow people. I hope you hear out my story. It started about a year ago. School had just begun and my teachers all seemed great that year. That afternoon when I got home from school, my life continued as usual but it was what happened that night that disturbed me. When I turned off the light, just as any night, I ran and jumped into my bed. You know how people do, especially kids, running away from the darkness. I turn over onto my left side, facing the wall. Now, my room at night is nearly pitch black. I felt something entirely unusual, like someone was watching me. This was different than the usual fear of the dark feeling I had. It was something else. The following morning, I didn't think much of it and tried to continue with my day. That night, though, when I turned off my light, I felt it again, same as the night before, except now the feeling was closer. I looked at the foot of my bed and right there, it was a dark, human-like figure. It was tall with extremely long arms, like an all-black Slenderman. But without a suit, as far as I could tell, I jumped up and nearly screamed, but all that came out was a crack in my dry throat. I stared at the figure, but it never moved. It seemed to only watch. I crawled back under my blanket and simply watched it until the sun came up. When the light poured into my room again, the figure faded away. I've only seen this particular figure a couple of times after this, but I have seen others. 
One night I went downstairs to get a snack, as you do with all-nighters. I was walking down to the kitchen, when out of the corner of my eye downstairs, I saw a pale-looking lady. She was wearing a dark dress, and she was nearly shadow, but I could tell that she had her hair down. I looked at her, and she vanished the moment she looked back at me. Heart pounding and skin covered in goosebumps, I tried to convince myself that it was just a figment of my imagination. I grabbed some food out of the fridge and got a glass of water. When I turned around facing the kitchen table now, one of the chairs had been pulled out and the woman I saw before was sitting in it, watching me. I ran upstairs, nearly dropping food and water everywhere. Besides these creepy figures that I see from time to time, I also often hear boards creaking at night, things grinding on the floor as something pushes them the moment you look away. I know I'll see them again. I'm just hoping I get used to them. Because, at the moment, this stuff is giving me nightmares. The Entity That Follows Me From Xena XX Grimm Location, New Jersey I'm 18 years old, but ever since I was a child, I've seen these shadow people. It's been going on ever since I can remember. One night, my sister and I were in the bathroom. We usually hang out there to smoke cigarettes and catch up on each other's lives. As we were talking, I see something from the corner of my eye. It was as big as me and was this bright pink color. I try to look directly at it, but it disappears. Then my sister tells me that there's a bright pink light surrounding me. At this point, I feel like I'm getting shocked with electricity through my body, and I feel out of it, like someone spiked my drink, and then I started to see orbs in the bathroom. It got so intense that I had to walk out. The rest of that night, I avoided the bathroom, because I just felt weird and a bit scared going there. The following day, I had this urge to go in there and draw. I locked myself in the bathroom for about two hours, drawing. At this point, I see a small pink orb. It was pulsating like someone's heartbeat. When I looked directly at it, though, it disappeared. One of my more recent encounters was last night. I was hanging out with a friend. It was around 2 a.m. when I saw this really small, bright blue orb come out of me. Then the shadowy pink apparition appears again, but now it's circling me. I tried to sleep it off, until I saw what appeared to be a clothed, shadowy figure roaming around her room. I feel like this area is an interdimensional hotspot or something. I feel like there's a great evil and great good here, but I can't tell which is which. What the orbs want or what the shadow person wants, I don't know. I just wish it would all stop. Shadow People From Nick Location Unknown When I was a teenager, I was hanging out with a few friends of mine at my house when we decided to take a drive to a bridge called Chapman's. Chapman's is a bridge that's about 30 to 40 feet high. The bridge has railroad tracks and extends over a lake. 
My friends and I would often go there for the thrill of jumping off of it and into the water. It was around 1 to 3 in the morning. I was hanging out with Bob and three other girls, so there were five of us in all. Only a few of us were brave enough to jump into that water. One of the girls were ready to go in the water, but was too afraid to make the jump. So I walked up to her soaking wet and hugged her, trying to urge her into going into the lake. As I had my arms on her shoulders trying to convince her to jump, she let out a loud gasp, raised her finger, and pointed down the railroad track, saying, Nick, who is that? About fifty yards down the tracks, there stood a shadowy dark figure of a man with a hood on. It looked like he was dressed in all black. It was dark out, so I couldn't make out much more detail. He simply looked like a shadow with no face. I then shouted at the figure, asking who he was and what he was doing out here. But he did not respond. Instead, he stood there, staring motionlessly. I then began to approach him. As I did, the girl that was still holding on to me followed me. I politely pushed her off of me and started to run toward the shadowy figure. As I got to within fifteen yards of it, he turned to his side and began to walk into the woods. I then ran back to my clothes to grab my flashlight and shoes. Then I went into the woods to search for that figure. There was no sign of him. After that weird occurrence, the girls that were there with us got freaked out by the event, so we decided to call it a night. We grabbed our clothes and made our way down the dark path illuminated only by the moon. The girl who pointed out the figure from before continued to hold close to me as we walked through the woods back to the car. She was very scared, and I don't blame her after what we saw. As we got to our car, we started getting ready to leave the edge of the woods. A couple of us were already in the vehicle. But the girl who saw the shadowy figure was standing next to me as I had my head in my car looking for my belongings, and as I was grabbing my towel from the back seat, she again gasped, saying, Oh my god, Nick! I quickly pulled my head out of the car and looked down the road. That shadowy figure appeared again, and was now standing about fifty yards away just staring at us in a very startling manner. This time I had my flashlight in hand and already had my shoes on. I was ready and determined to find out what this person was doing. I bolted towards the figure. The strange thing is, though, as I got closer, less features of this figure could be made out, as if it was getting more and more blurry. When I was twenty yards away from him, he slowly walked into the woods again, like he couldn't care less once more that I was chasing him. As he started going into the trees, I stopped to shine my light on him. I wish I had gotten closer, because when I shined the light on the figure, he still looked like a dark shadow. A pitch black shadow with merely the shape of a hood. After I lost sight of him, I stopped and listened, but I didn't hear any footsteps, nor branches breaking or anything of the sort like there should have been. If that was a man out there, there was no way he could have walked into those woods without making a single sound. We got into the car, and we left. Years later, I still talked to that girl and my friends that were there that night. Every time I speak to that girl that pointed out the figure, the first thing she always mentions to me is that creepy, strange figure staring at us that night.
That was my first experience I've had with those entities haunting that bridge. My friend Matt, from Nicole, location unknown. When I was a little kid, I met a new friend. His name was Matt. The strange thing about Matt, though, was that he was a shadow person. Matt was the name I gave him. I say him because his features seemed a bit more masculine. I only saw Matt once. I was relaxing on the couch in the living room. I had my eyes shut, but when I opened them, there he was. If I were to try to describe him, I would say he looked like a man from the 1950s with his hair slicked back. When I opened my eyes, I was greeted by a completely black male figure. I've heard stories where sightings of shadow people are usually quick glances, or they are human-shaped until around the legs where they become more like a blur. But in my case, it wasn't a glance, and he did not blur. He was a basic human, except that he was only a black figure with no features other than his hair. Even without any features, though, I could tell he was staring into my eyes while I stared back into his non-existent anything. He was strange to see, but I had no sense of fear, only curiosity and friendliness. We looked at each other for at least five minutes, but then I blinked and just like that, he was gone. I decided if he was going to stay in my family's house, he would have a name, so I named him Matt. After that day, Anytime something would just fall or a strange sound would happen, I would just tell my parents must have been Matt. And that's my story of how I met my shadow friend, Matt. Black Shadow by Evrioni When I was younger, for the span of about three months, I would wake up in the middle of the night, every night, screaming. At first, my mom thought it was nothing, just another nightmare that young children often get. But after a few weeks, my mom started to notice something. I would wake up every night at exactly 11 p.m., no earlier, no later. At the point when she started to notice, she also started to stay up until I woke up. But at that point, it became obvious that this was not another nightmare. The routine of my mom staying up until 11 continued for another two months before my mom thought of something. One night, my mom had me sleep on the couch with her, and at exactly 11, I started to scream. At this point, I hadn't woke up yet, so my mom says to me, Honey, tell him God loves you. Go to God. She says I stopped screaming immediately and fell back to sleep. After that, it did not happen again. Now, we're not a religious family. My mom's parents were, so obviously she was raised religiously. I know that some might have passed this off as a recurring nightmare, but I've had them before this happened, and they don't just stop suddenly like this did. What's even more bizarre is that I remember seeing something. A dark shadow... I would see it when I woke up for only a few seconds, fading away as I screamed. But after the night on the couch, it all finally ended. The Big Black Dog by 
Dylan1315. I live in Australia, down near Victoria, on a little bit of land with around 40 cattle, two dogs, and 114 chickens. It was around 8 p.m. one night when this happened. My mom let me drive her car down the back road, which was about 12 kilometers up and back, in a little red Toyota. I got into the car and I told my mom that I would not be long. Before I left, she simply said not to go too fast. I had no trouble getting up the back road, and I spent some time just driving around. As it got late and I promised to be back sooner than later, I began to head back. But as I was driving toward home, I saw a pair of eyes on the road. They were coming from what looked like a dog, a big and black dog that was really skinny. It looked like it was eating on something in the middle of the road. I swerved, trying to miss the dog. But as I did, something ran straight into the back left side of the car. This forced me to hit a bank on the side of the road. Automatically, the car had turned itself off, and I couldn't breathe for a few minutes. After the wind came back in my body, I started thinking, what was I going to do? But then my thoughts were interrupted by this awful smell. It was like rotten meat that had been left in the sun for hours. I felt like throwing up because the smell was so concentrated. All of a sudden, I heard something like walking. Whatever it was was dragging its feet. It was dark out, so I couldn't see too well. I thought if I hit that thing, how the heck is it walking around? I quickly started the car and put my foot to the floor. When I made it home, I checked the back left side of the car. There was a huge dent in it, like some large animal had run full speed into it. I didn't tell anyone about my encounter, but I did get in a lot of trouble for wrecking the car. I did see those eyes again eventually, in the paddocks, which if you don't know is a small field or enclosure where horses are kept. I think this large black creature that looks like a dog but is way too big to be a dog, is stalking the fields and forests around here, looking for things to eat. So I'm glad I didn't go walking that road that night, because if I hadn't been in a metal car, I might have been Chow myself. Grandma's Table by Denny Brum This story happened about 12 years ago. My grandma bought a home in a Salt Lake City suburb in the 1960s after her and my grandpa had their first child together. And since day one, she thought the home was haunted. She said that even though it was clear early on that something was off about the home, she never felt like she needed to leave. It was her home, she said, and whoever else was there was welcome to stay as long as they understood and respected the boundaries. Other than one story, Grandma says most of the residents there followed the rules and never gave her a reason to evict them. Over the years, my Grandma welcomed more children to the house and it became a safe haven for my entire family. We used her home for most family gatherings, and many of us used the place as temporary residents a time or two. 
Much of the family has experienced something unusual in the home, and we usually blame it on the ghosts. Two of my grandma's stories are the reason that I have one of my own. You see, my grandpa passed away in 1999, and several months after his death, my grandma was in her kitchen doing the dishes. She says she felt a strange feeling come over her, like she needed to leave the house. She later attributed this feeling to my grandpa. Before she could even finish her thought, she had a sensation that something very strong was grabbing her from behind and trying to force her down the stairs. She couldn't see anyone, but she felt something powerful trying to force her. She states that she fought back as hard as she could and managed to make it to her kitchen table. She sat at the table and held on to it, while this entity violently pulled and groped at her, and she would not let go. Finally, it just stopped, yet no one was there. The house was once again silent and peaceful. She said she had never been so scared in her life. While telling me this story at the same kitchen table, she told me of a little girl ghost that lived in the basement. She said the little girl would like to play pranks on people, pull off their blankets while they slept, and hide their things. She said she knew it was the girl because of the laughter. Grandma said the little girl would giggle mischievously, so she knew it was her. This little girl seemed peaceful in that she just wanted someone to play with. To this point, I had never experienced anything scary or ghostly in the home. But after hearing the stories for myself, I was creeped out being in any room alone in that house. But still, nothing more than a spooky feeling, and an embarrassing run up the stairs ever happened to me. Again, to that point. Now fast forward a few years to that exact same kitchen table. Only subtract my grandma and add my mother and two of my friends. We were all sitting around talking and planning our evening. My friends and I didn't have any money, so we settled into an evening at Grandma's house with my mom. At one point, we began telling ghost stories, and my mom and I decided to tell my friends about the house of horrors that we were currently sitting in. My mom told a story about the little girl. She, too, had an experience with her, so it made sense for Mom to tell it. The girl's story was met with enjoyment but disbelief, so when it was my turn to tell about Grandma's dishes incident, I was not surprised to see the same reaction in my friends' faces. The, that's cool, but I don't believe it, look. Next, almost as if on cue, the cheap yet expensive-looking chandelier that hung above us just exploded. Now, I'm not talking about a blown bulb. I'm talking about four light bulbs actually blowing up. Glass went everywhere. After a few moments of looking around and at each other, we all decided we needed to get out of there. After tripping all over each other, in an attempt to save ourselves, we all managed to make it out safely. We all left the house within minutes. My mom went on home while my friends and I went to get ourselves intoxicated. But for the rest of the evening, we talked about those ghostly pyrotechnics. Even now as I recall this, it was the absolute most spooked out I've ever been. As we discussed what happened with some other friends that we met up with that night, I began to notice that familiar bullcrap look on their faces. Needless to say, though, my friends Brad and Ashley, the ones that were there that night, they believe all of our stories.
The Smiling Shadow by Chris Intel. I was over at my best friend's old house, just a small and cozy one-story house with a garage. I often spent most of my time there, seeing as at the time I didn't have very many friends, so I spent as much time as possible with my best friend, Michaela. As I was saying, it was a normal Friday night, and Michaela and I were settling down for the day and getting ready for bed. I was pretty tired, so it didn't take me long to fall asleep. However, as I was sleeping, something disturbed me out of it. When I opened my eyes, I couldn't move. I tried to fight against my own limbs, but they wouldn't move at all. I was completely paralyzed. Then it became hard to breathe. It felt as though someone was sitting on top of me, pushing down onto my chest. Extremely common symptoms for sleep paralysis. Still, I kept struggling, but I couldn't move. Then, as I scanned the room with my eyes, I saw it. A huge black mass standing over me, and it was smiling. I could see that crooked smile stretching over its face. I tried to scream then, but still, not a sound came out. I was trying to move, trying to scream, trying to do anything to get Michaela's attention. But I couldn't. This thing, however, just stood over me, watching and smiling, as if enjoying my terror. It felt like I was being held down there for hours, forced to stare back at this thing. I, I thought I was going to suffocate. Then, just like that, like the flick of a light switch, everything stopped. One minute the thing was there and then it wasn't. It simply disappeared right before my eyes. It's hard to explain. It was like I imagined everything. I don't remember falling back to sleep that night, but I'm sure I did, as I was soon awake to the smell of breakfast coming from the living room. I walked into the living room and sat there, thinking about the events of that night, while Michaela and her mother were all too happy, talking about things and cooking breakfast. But so many questions plagued my mind. Was it just a dream? Should I say something? What if they think I'm crazy? After some thought, I decided to speak about it. Hey, Michaela, I asked. She looked toward me. Did you... Did you, like, I don't know, did you wake up at all last night? Michaela raised an eyebrow and said, No, why? I explained. I know it sounds crazy, but hear me out. Last night I woke up in the middle of the night to this thing standing over me. It was all black, but it was smiling. I couldn't move, and I could barely breathe, and I was trying to call out to you, but I couldn't make a sound. I was so scared, I... I was suddenly cut off by her mother, Rose, asking, You saw what? She sounded quite surprised. Anyway... For as long as I've been back to Michaela's place, I haven't had an experience similar to that. But I do know that I hope I never see that smiling thing again. Midnight Creepy Crawlies by Vivi591 Honestly, I've had a lot of creepy stuff happen to me throughout my life. 
but this is the first instance which I can remember really well. I was somewhere between the age of three and five. I know that I wasn't in school yet, because I never went to Head Start or preschool. I remember begging my grandmother to buy me this package of plastic bugs at the store for a dollar, when we were out grocery shopping. This was a big deal, because we lived an hour's drive away from town, so we only went about once a week. That night, I wanted to open them right away, but my grandma wouldn't let me, because of something I had done to misbehave. She put them at the very back of the kitchen, right out of my reach. I ended up going to bed without getting to open them. I woke up in the middle of the night, though, which was unusual, because I was one of those people that you couldn't wake up with a brass marching band. I decided that I was going to go to the kitchen then and get my plastic bugs to play with. They were cheap little things, with one color each, and hardly any detail. I grabbed a step stool and climbed up on it, grabbing the package triumphantly. I tried to open the package carefully, but I ended up ripping it wide open, sending plastic bugs flying all over. I began to pick them up, and after about the fifth one, I felt something tickling my hand. I opened my hand, only to find that I was holding real bugs. I suppressed a scream and dropped them hurriedly. I looked around in terror, as the other bugs I had dropped were now crawling all over the place. They scurried away to hide, and I crept back to my room as fast as I dared. I went to sleep after my heart had calmed down. My grandma woke me up the next morning, demanding to know what I'd done with the bugs. I had left the stool in the kitchen in my panic. I told her what I experienced, yet she did not believe me. She'd made me show her all my hiding places in my room and in the front room, but the bugs were nowhere to be found. She grounded me for the weekend from TV. Several nights later, I woke up, because something was tickling my arm. I sat up and let my eyes adjust, seeing a huge bug crawling on me. I quickly brushed it off. I then turned on the nearby lamp. I saw them, all over the wall behind the headboard. It was covered in the rest of the bugs from that package. My grandparents rushed into the room and proceeded to pick the bugs off the wall with tissue. My grandma comforted me as I babbled incoherently about telling the truth, while my grandpa threw the now-squished bugs in the trash and took it out to the dumpster. The next morning, probably not actually believing me but feeling bad about the bug thing, my grandma apologized. I told her it was okay and she ungrounded me, but the damage was done and a lifelong fear of bugs set in. What caused everything to happen that night? I have no idea, but every time I get the sensation of something crawling on me, I freak out. There's Two of Them by Samuel V. I was around six years old. We had this maid that came from the southern part of the Philippines. She was very hard-working. She did most of the household chores for me and my older sister, but one morning she missed one thing to do. Me and my older sister were playing PS2 in the living room when someone rang on the phone. I was all too focused on playing the game, so my oldest sister answered. It was our mother. She had come home from work, so she was asking us to open the gate to our garage 
so she could park her car. My sister then asked the maid to go open the gate. Our maid went to the gate and opened it, as asked. At least, that's what we thought. Later, after a few minutes passed, we were playing the game still, when suddenly the phone rang once more. It was our mother, and she was mad. She said to open the gate already. With a furious voice, I decided to open it up myself. My oldest sister went upstairs to see our maid sleeping. She asked, Why didn't you go open the gate like I asked? What? she said. I've been sleeping. What do you mean, open the gate? We said that we saw her downstairs, but she said I wasn't down there. I was sleeping the whole time. A few days later, the incident was brought up again, and we asked the maid about it. She said that something must have followed her from the Philippines, something her people called the Manga Gaia, which means doppelganger. I asked, what is that exactly? She answered, when I was in the Philippines, almost every day I'd have friends and family tell me that they saw me in places that I hadn't been that day, and I would just give no response. I've always known that there was a double of me, but I didn't think it'd follow me all the way here. Whoever you asked to open the gate, that person was not me. There is something living with my aunt. By Kasha Pyro. My aunt and uncle live in Russia. They were visiting us in Georgia in May 2017 and October 2018. Every time they visited, my aunt would tell us a story of a creature called Domovoy. It started when my aunt, who we'll call Maria, was still in college in Krasnodar. There, she was renting an apartment from some old lady. She said the place was nice for a while, until the weirdness started. Things were happening, like books falling from their places, things moving on their own, and strange noises being heard. What happened next is the weirdest part. When my aunt was out to class and came home, her entire apartment was a terrible mess. Later, when she married my uncle and moved into his house in the same part of Russia, she still was experiencing some strange things. She had sleep paralysis several times and heard loud banging in her house at night. You see, the Domovoy is said to be a very moody spirit. It doesn't like being laughed at or not having its needs fulfilled, just like a small child. So, keeping up with the legend, my aunt would sometimes leave candy and treats out for it, particularly when the house would be empty. She said that whenever she got back home, the candy would always be eaten. My aunt says it was never left untouched, and if she didn't leave candy out, things would always be a mess. She eventually learned to live with it, and always had candy in store. After moving out of that apartment, it didn't seem to follow her, because the events stopped after that. My aunt says she was simply glad to get out of there, and no longer have to worry, never again having to worry about whether or not she remembered to leave out some candy. I live on a farm in the woods of New England, and every night at 3 a.m., my dog starts barking. By Raven95 
My story begins about three weeks ago. Around here, that meant summer was just beginning to give way to fall. Everything seemed normal, until I began to hear scratching on the outer wall and roof of our home, specifically in the upstairs bedroom at night. I never bothered to investigate or go outside for the first week. I simply tried to write it off as mice in the walls. But when the motion sensor porch lights began to come on, I knew it was something larger than a mouse, so the mouse excuse was no longer working. When those lights began to get turned on at night, I knew we had a problem. Due to past experiences, I thought it was an old internet stalker I had. One day I asked a friend of mine, Alex, if he had heard or seen anything out of his window last night. We lived together. He responded, Ah, yeah, I thought I heard you stomping around on the front porch or something like that. I just thought you were letting Zara out to use the restroom. Zara is our dog. At his response, my eyes grew wide with panic and paranoia. I didn't go outside after sundown, Alex. Nor did Zara. Calm down, I'm sure it was just hiss. He tried to reassure me, talking about our old gray barn cat. But I quickly retorted, Barn cat footsteps do not sound like people. I stomped back into the living room, beginning to worry. I walked up the stairs to unbury my uncle's old 12-gauge which had been stored away. I spent the rest of the day disassembling the old cannon while Alex was at work. After reassembling it, I cleaned it and oiled it. I strapped on my knife and headlamp. Then cautiously, I stepped outside to feed the rabbits hand-cut grass from the crates on the front porch. During the day, I had neglected to feed them, choosing instead to prepare this weapon. That was going to be the first night that I would protect our farm from whatever was bothering us, and I couldn't be sure how ready I was. Stepping into the cool night air past the second heavy wooden door on the front of our cabin, I looked out into the sparsely illuminated blackness of the forest in front of me. I didn't notice it until I was done giving the male rabbit his grass, but that night was supernaturally quiet. It was utter silence, and as any hunter or huntress will tell you, that's bad. This sudden realization hit me like a freight train. As I was standing up from the female's cage from just having latched their door, I heard a single heavy footfall on the gravel driveway behind me. In one swift motion, I grabbed the already racked and loaded 12-gauge, and I spun around on my heel, stammering out, Hello? After I turned, I caught sight of a large, lone coyote in my headlamp. It was about a hundred feet away, and it seems to freeze mid-step, like a child being caught stealing from the cookie jar. So I yell out, Oh, come on, get out of here, get! And this seems to startle it enough to break its trance-like state, as it runs off to the forest's edge another 150 feet from me. But that's when everything changed when normalcy was completely thrown out the window, when that coyote made it to the trees. It stopped, and it turned back to face me, only to raise itself up on two legs. We locked eyes then, as it held itself up with one paw braced against a tree. Then it opened its mouth wide and slow. As its mouth opened, 
The cries of a hundred different coyotes echoed out from it. Scared out of my mind and feeling threatened, I lost my nerve and I fired a deer slug at it, center mass, right in its solar plexus. The creature fell backwards into the ferns, after which I saw the ferns rustle violently as something scurried away through them just below sight. By then, Alex was running outside to see what all the commotion was about. He was holding a machete and a flashlight, wanting to know what that howling sound was. He looked like some kind of cartoon parody of a farmer. In a panicky tone, I explained to him what I just experienced. Of course, he seemed skeptical at first, as would any sane person. But then he suggested this. Let's go see if you got it. You can't be serious, Alex, I replied. You think chasing a hellhound singing at me with every voice from a barbershop quartet isn't scary enough. You want to chance it through the woods. I chirped sarcastically at him, then remembered to ready another buckshot shell, just in case. Before I had even finished the sentence, he began to approach the trees. So I followed him. After a few moments of standing in the location the creature had been, we began to hear a rustling noise, and as Alex turned his back, a brown furry mass the size of a medium-sized dog flew through the air towards Alex's back. In a split moment, I fired once more, either scaring the thing back into the bushes or actually hitting it. Alex spun around. Are you just firing off into the darkness? No, you didn't see that? It was coming right at you, I answered him. Let's get back inside. I began to sprint out of the woods, back to the safety of the porch. I could hear Alex's frantic footsteps behind me. When we made it back inside, I slammed the door and locked it. After catching my breath and reloading the 12-gauge, the two of us went over to a dresser in the living room. We pulled out a bundle of cedar smudge sticks and cleansed and barred the house with old-world nature magic, which had been passed down from my family. Though still we have the odd occurrence in the farm to this day. It does seem whatever is stalking our home is now wary of the property, but I'm not taking any chances. Whenever I go outside at night, I'll be holding this 12-gauge close. To anyone who's planning on exploring the old towns and forests of New England, Bring weapons, and maybe even a shaman. The Skinwalker in Broad Creek by Flat French Fry This is a story about what I saw on my last camping trip with my friends from the Boy Scouts. Me and my friends at the time were going to the rifle range to finish up our rifle merit badge. We all had a good time, but I was the last one to finish up, so they ended up leaving me there until I was done, so that meant I had to walk back by myself. Our campsite was on the other side of the camp, and it's down a long gravel road. As I was walking through that gravel, I began to hear sounds in the forest right next to me. I simply thought it was another campsite, so I ignored it and continued on. But as I make it to the offshoot of this trail, to where the other camp should have been, I saw that their campsite was empty. Now I was beginning to get a little suspicious of these sounds in the forest, 
Sounds like footsteps and breathing. So I start to jog, nervous that something was following me. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I see it. Something with long, lanky limbs and eyes that reflected a dreadful yellow. I can see ribs pushing up from underneath its skin and bones that seemed angled and broken. I'm standing there in shock. I feel like I need to throw up. I see the form of the thing get closer and closer. Until I hear another sound, a smaller set of footsteps coming toward me. It's one of my friends coming to check on me since I was taking so long. He grabs me by the shoulder and we take off toward the camp. As I'm walking away, I look back, and there that thing is walking right behind us, almost out of eyesight from the tree line. That's when I get a good look at its face, which is the most disturbing part of this story, because the face is a human face, but it looks more like a loose mask. As we get closer to our camp's campfire, the thing seems to grow disinterested and disappears into the trees. It was the strangest thing and the scariest thing that I've ever experienced. If I have anything to say, it would be, don't go hiking alone in Broad Creek. Enjoy the following two creepy stories that you may have heard before, but maybe not. They've aired on this channel before, but I thought you'd like to hear them again, or hear them for the first time for my new subs. Enjoy. The Lake Story Beast, submitted by Austin W. I'm a 17-year-old guy in my senior year of high school. I've tried telling people this story, but no one has believed me yet, except for my friend Jacob. Jacob only believes me because he was there as well. Now, I've always believed in various cryptids, ever since I was young. I watched TV shows like The Lost Tapes. This last summer was full of adventures and different experiences, but it was by far the most terrifying summer I've ever had. You see, I spend a lot of time hiking or longboarding at our local park in my hometown in Illinois. Anyone who knows me knows that if I'm not working, I'm at the lake or at home practicing the guitar. I'd been working at the town's water park as a lifeguard since I was 15, and I'd made many friends there. But Jacob was the only one I was truly close to. We'd get coffee from time to time, or just drive around in the country, but Jacob wanted to hang out afterwards. Now, I had just finished a double shift, and I really wanted to go to the lake. He agreed, and after work we went there together. I asked Jacob if he wanted to go down some of the trails. He answered with a nod. We had finally reached a set of trails I've never been down before, and it looked just as cheery as the rest. No sooner than thirty minutes into the walk, the sun was going down. But Jacob and I wanted to keep going. That was our first mistake. We eventually got down to where we could hear the sounds of the lake. But five minutes or so later, we were laughing after a joke I told when we came upon a fallen tree. We decided it was a perfect time to take a break, so we sat down on the fallen tree. Jacob pulled out a pack of cigarettes and lit one. We sat and enjoyed the silence. 
Silence, I thought to myself, and I spoke up to Jacob. That's weird, man. It's never this quiet around here at night. He took a slow drag from his cigarette and listened. I stood up to stretch, and I asked him if he wanted to continue down the trail. But before he could answer, Jacob noticed something. Hey, do you see that? Down there by the edge of the lake. I looked down. I had thought it might have been a lost dog or a deer, because they can be seen regularly around here. I've even returned a couple of lost dogs to their owners from here before. Before I could say anything, he moved past me and said, Austin, dude, I think that's an injured dog. I began to follow him as he made his way towards it. As I was walking behind him, I was looking at the ground because we were walking off path and it was getting harder to see the darker it got. The next thing I noticed was that Jacob suddenly stopped. I walked right into him, sending us both falling to the ground. My glasses and phone fell off my face and out of my hands. When I picked them up, I looked around. Jacob was gone. Jacob, I stopped in my tracks. That dog that he had thought was there was not a dog. Whatever it was, had a long and distorted body, its legs and arms twisted among themselves. It was skinny, and looked like it hadn't eaten in days. It was pale gray with tufts of fur on its arms and legs. The scariest part about this thing was its eyes, those soulless black eyes. Its mouth had no lips, instead forming straight into sharp, jagged teeth. It had a small nose that looked like it had been ripped apart by something. I gasped as I trembled to my feet, not daring to take my eyes off of it. Then it opened its mouth, and it said my name. It sounded like Jacob. Austin. I nearly soiled myself at the sound. I began to walk backwards when I tripped over something and fell onto my back. The creature then stood suddenly, towering over us. My hand gripped a small rock no bigger than my palm, and without rationally thinking, I threw it at the creature, who didn't even flinch. When the rock bounced off its arm, it almost sounded like it was laughing. It got down on all fours and crept towards me, and that's when I lost it. I turned and ran. As I ran... I could hear this thing crashing and stumbling through the woods. I ran for what seemed like forever. I could finally see the clearing. Jacob was in his car already, and he was revving up the engine. Come on! Hurry! We need to get the hell out of here! Nearly tripping over the loose gravel, I ran around Jacob's car. Before I even got the door shut, Jacob floored it. I looked back, and there, out of where I just came from was that a creature sitting on its knuckles. I closed my eyes and told Jacob to just go. We drove for twenty minutes. My eyes were closed and I was too terrified to open them for a while. We filed a police report and they sent a couple of officers out there. A couple of days later we got the report back. They said that the most out of the ordinary thing they saw were mutilated rabbits' bodies. They told me not to worry about it. 
And if I'm still too worried, just avoid going there. I didn't need to be told something like that. Three months have gone by, and Jacob doesn't like to talk about it. I finally lost it. I asked what did he see when he went down there. He said when he walked down there, the thing was sleeping. He described it just like I did, and when I walked into him, he said he fell right in front of it, waking it up. And that's when he turned and ran, as I laid there dumbfounded. He apologized. He just said he was scared, more than he'd ever been. I can't blame him, because I was truly as scared as he was. Neither of us stood a chance against that creature. If you're ever in the Midwest state of Illinois, in the Knox County area, stay away from the lake, because you never know what's in the dark waiting for you. The Unknown Monster Submitted by Paige L. I used to be an assistant manager for a local dollar store, and I did a lot of closing because of school. And I was on a health kick at the time. So one night, while the weather was still good, I decided to walk home after closing up shop with my best friend, whom I'd gotten the job for as the cashier at the same store when I moved up. Her name was Amanda. I lived with my grandma at the time, and she only lived about half a mile away from the store, about a 15-minute stroll in all. It was already dark, but I didn't care. I lived in a nice neighborhood. I mean, the worst we ever got was occasionally a drugstore robbery. Plus, I'd walked this path a hundred times before. I knew this town like the back of my hand, yet, for some reason... This night, I felt uneasy. I've had what I believe to be supernatural experiences before, so I'm familiar with that heart-in-your-throat feeling of being watched. I had my phone flashlight on so I could see the uneven path, but the feeling of being watched got so bad that every few meters, I'd turn around, only to see that nothing was there. This kept happening until I reached my grandma's street, I turned down the road and kept walking, but something kept nagging me, telling me to turn back one more time. I listened, and I regretted it. But then again, it might be the only reason I'm alive today. What I saw was a tall, emaciated, humanoid figure crossing my grandmother's road. It didn't look at me, but I could see it so clearly in the streetlight. It was disturbing to behold. It was so thin, I could have used it as a reference for a skeleton. It also had a strangely dog-like head and massive hands with long claws. Like I said, thankfully, it didn't see me, and it kept walking down the street. I stood there frozen until it made it to the other side, and once it was out of sight, I booked it back home, which was luckily only a few houses away. I sat in the living room with my grandma, shaken and barely composed. Then my grandma said something that made my heart sink. She asked if I had seen the news. I stuttered, no, and she went on to explain 
that a man had took his own life after a standoff with a SWAT team near the elementary school. The man wasn't in the school, but he lived close enough that if he made a threat, someone would have to intervene. What really put me on edge, though, was that this man had no known mental illnesses and, according to his family, was completely stable. And this had happened only a few hours ago. I managed to control myself, eat some dinner, and try to sleep. But that night, sleep wouldn't come. All night long, I heard shuffling through the mulch under my window, and once I even heard a hand slam against it. Thankfully, I had thick curtains, because if I saw that hand, I would have screamed, alerting the entire household. I stayed up all night, drank some coffee to keep my attention focused, and only slept when the sun came back. I was then gone all weekend as I was going out of town for a convention. Luckily, nothing happened then, but when I got back home, things got worse. I opened the store the next few days, and I kept seeing something out of the corner of my eye, just out of the windows. Slowly, my opening shifts came and went, and soon enough, I was back on the night crew, where I'd be closing shop and walking home as usual. Well, at the very least, I had Amanda with me on these closing days. There's a quick thing about Amanda I need to say. She's been a very firm believer in the supernatural all her life. She believed that she was living in a haunted house, where something was possessing the basement. Knowing her backstory on the supernatural, I told her what I'd been experiencing, and she was clearly put on edge about it. We kept working through our shift until it finally came to an end. Suddenly, I felt like I was being followed again, but now on my walks home, I was far too afraid to turn around. I ended up asking Amanda if she saw anything trailing me whenever she saw me walking home. She swallowed hard before she replied, and I found myself anticipating her dreadful answer. I didn't want to say anything, she said at first, because I didn't want to scare you. The other night, I swear I saw something tall and thin following you home. It wasn't a person, and it was far from any creature I've seen before. During this whole time, I was texting another friend who knew more about demons and creatures of sorts, and he said that it sounded like it was hunting me. He laughed at a theory he told me, saying that the creature was a demon spirit, that it was the reason the man had committed suicide, and that it was trying to get me next. And I'd seen it more than once. On one occasion, it appeared as just a shadow, like a vapor of itself, as if it was some sort of shapeshifter. I would believe that, considering how it looked half-human already. For a while after talking with some friends, it backed off slightly, but I could still feel it stalking me. One day I walked right past the window to stalk some paper plates, and when I looked out the window next to me, I saw it, leaning its upper body against the glass, its claws pressed hard against the surface. It was staring right at me, and if there hadn't been a window there, the only thing separating us 
would have been a few feet. After that, I had trouble working the rest of the day, and I wouldn't go home unless Amanda gave me a ride. Luckily, she didn't mind. She enjoyed my company. We're like sisters, so she took me home without a problem. It's been a while since I've seen it. I still can't figure out if it's a physical thing or some sort of evil spirit that's following me. All I know is it's terrifying to behold, and even more horrifying to think about how it's stalking me, maybe even at this very moment.